everybody, and welcome back to Prequelizers, a.k.a. Season 6 of Sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers, and joining me, also as always, is Mr. Matthew Stockton. Tell me about April 19th. April 19th, 3am to be precise. That's my birthday! Hey, I was watching that and I was like, oh, it's Matt's birthday, that's exciting. <laughs> April 19th means nothing, it never does, until Smoking Aces 2. Fucking hell. Yay. How exciting. Does that, does that make you happy that you're immortalised in this hot pile of shite? Just, just introduce the other person, fuck you. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of people being immortalised... Joining us also is Tim Matum. Mom, Joel Edgerton came all over my jacket again. <laughs> it's just cinnamon rolls. Come on, man. Why is Joel Edgerton... Right. We're, we're fixing Smoking Aces 2. Spoiler alert. You've seen the title. Smoking Aces 2, Assassin's Ball. Why is Joel Edgerton a Russian mafia dude who comes on jackets? What, what's with that? that that's, in, that's, in the, that's in the good film, well, he's, the first one. He, He's 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 both that and he is uh, someone wearing Joel Legerton's face ma- face as a mask. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so weird. God, the cast in the first movie. Let, let's let's jump straight into it. Like the cast in the first film is so incredibly star-studded by today's standards, but full of just random shit sometimes. Like that moment <laughs> with Joel Legerton, like that that Russian dude in the in the tracksuit kind of looks like Joel Edgerton it is Joel Edgerton why the fuck is Joel Edgerton in this film how weird and we all know I hate Joel Edgerton <laughs> he's one of the he's one of the many bland white dudes of Hollywood one of the Davids as you call them <laughs> yeah one of the Davids no 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 they're the producers the oh that's true directors. Yes, yeah. they're the worst He's he's the, he's he's the Scott Eastwood yeah. and Jai Courtney and Garrett Headland and all those. One of the Jais. insert generic white dude here. The the not Chris's, as it were. Yeah, <laughs> the sub Chris's. <laughs> the way you could get a star-studded cast is that in the sixties and seventies, and to be fair, probably further back in things, but most important in the seventies, I think there was a huge wave of ensemble cast pieces. It's like Cannonball Run and all that kind of stuff. And you have various pockets of it happening again, but not as successful. The the sort of fade out of it would have been something like Police Academy, for example. You have a big, big cast of big characters being very silly, etc. And you get a bit of it as a revival in the early 2000s in the form of a handful of things like Smoke and Aces and Rat Race as well. And you think, how do you get all these huge names? Even like Love Actually, for example, is the same sort of vibe. And the way you get it is because you say... Oh my god, we got we got Ben Affleck and we got Ryan Reynolds and we got um I mean Ray Liotta. And Ryan stuff. Reynolds was like the rom com guy in two thousand and six, right? Like yeah, he's not fairly, yeah. Deal. He was yeah. he was in, he was Van Wilder still, so he was still like sort of teen comedy. But these were oh, all like up yeah, and coming. Van Wilder. Yeah, yeah, they're all up and coming names. I mean, they were still big, big drawers that were. I mean Ben Aff- Ben Affleck was a big name by this. Yes, yes he was definitely know, this was, this He's was, done Daredevil. <laughs> he's done Daredevil. He he's uh post Goodwill uh, Hunting. Armageddon, mm-hmm. post Goodwill Hunting, post Pearl Harbor, you know. He's the... an Oscar winner, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I, I'd say Ben Affleck, Andy Garcia, Ray Liotta would have been the big the big names of the film, I think. And then you have just a, a, a smorgasbord of people like, oh shit, it's that guy, who then became huge names later, like Chris Pine and so on. But um, you had a lot of these ensemble pieces that would exist, and you'd get like, oh, we got Ben Affleck, how crazy is that? It's like, yeah. How how many days were we shooting Ben Affleck? Well, we got him for three days. 
Okay. And because you have so many people, I mean, we're going to come onto this later about my own experiences with stealth, unfortunately, but in a positive light, um, because you have such a huge, huge cast, it's manic for the crew. It's manic for the director. But for the cast, it's like, yeah, just turn up, do four or five days, it'll be a lot of fun. You're like, eh, fuck it, I'll do that. The worst attempt at a film like this, by the way, is Movie 43. That's Oh, wow. That's an yeah. anthology piece, so it's a bit different, but it's the nature of, oh, we'll, mm. just, we'll just do little bits that tick over. Isn't that considered like one of the worst films ever made? It's one of the biggest wastes of talent, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Huge, amazing cast, and it's an absolute pile of shit. Precisely. And like, like offensively bad. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come in here, and uh, I, I'm fixing this one. And I, 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 I sort of took that approach and kind of ramped it up almost and took inspiration from uh, a trend that was more or less happening at the, uh, at the same time as Smoking Aces 2, mm. uh, which we'll get onto, which doesn't really do what Smoking Aces does. It kind of just has one narrative that it follows. Yeah. And I say it was, there was a trend. Really, it was the work of one director making three different films. Mm. And that was Gary Marshall. <laughs> with New Year's Eve, Valentine's Day, oh, and Mother's yeah, Day, yeah. which did the similar thing films. of getting a star-studded casts, and again by doing the thing of being like, yeah, it'll only take like four days to shoot your part, and then you, you know, and you'll get a decent, you, you know, you're not going to get a, a, a the full-sized paycheck that these stars expect, yeah. but you're you're done in four days rather than it taking six weeks to shoot a film. It's a quick job, and you'll be on screen credits with other people. It'll be fun. And they'll go, yeah, fuck, I'll do yeah. it. I got three days. Yeah. Um, so I very much took that approach with mine, where I was like, okay, we're having lots and lots of narratives, uh, which will enable us to have some quote unquote decent star power, mm. uh, but they're all they're not necessarily, you know, a ma- there's not a main thrust to the story. It's very hard to know what the main character is because I think that one of the big problems with Smoke and Aces, the original in the first place, is that it's a very polar film or bipolar film, I should say where you have this this really wacky action film that's full of nonsense and, and high high stakes silliness. And then you've got Ray Liotta and Ryan Reynolds in a relatively grounded, straightforward cop drama. And you're like, yeah, yeah. They're, they're the straight men to the whole thing yeah. pretty much, aren't Bit they? Bit of a tonal shift. Yeah, it, the tone of the original Smoking Aces is so all over the place. Mm. And it really, I don't necessarily enjoy the kind of the baser stuff, uh, the the more, you know, wacky hijinks. But I think it does that more successfully for the most part than when it tries to get serious. I think what it's aiming for is to be Tarantino. Basically. That's probably yes. very true. I would yeah. agree with that. You know, with the with sense. the with the kind of twisting different narratives, you know, mm. different uh multiple kind of protagonist type things. Yeah. It kind of wants to be pulp fiction by way of Kill Bill. Yeah. <laughs> um but it it, it it fails to pull that off and whenever it goes for Gravitas when it's got yeah, when it's Ryan Reynolds, when it's Ray Liotta, it tries to do it with Jeremy Piven, who is a f- like has basically made his career playing fundamentally unlikable people. <laughs> Very true. And is playing a real asshole here. Mm. And then like halfway, two thirds of the way through the film, it's like, oh, but don't you feel sad for him? And it's like, no, you've given me no reason to feel sad yeah, for this exactly. asshole. Yeah. I'm looking forward for, to him dying. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like there, like when it, when it tries to do that, I'm just like, my, I, I just kind of want to throw popcorn at the <laughs> screen and go like, boo, stop trying to make me like this guy. Yeah. Um, it's not working. It's, 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 he's a bad person. He has bad motives. Mm. 
And at the end of the day, he's also, and it, which things you can kind of work around. And think, well, like if you take um, the town, for example, another Ben Affleck film, Ben Affleck directed about mm. him and Jeremy Renner, a good Jeremy Renner performance, by the way, for people who want to know. Um, mm. yeah. He, those characters are thugs and criminals, but you want them to succeed. You want them to get out of the life, etc. Whereas Piven is like, yeah. He's a sleazy, Vegas-living douchebag, and he turns on everybody, including his friends, and he's a scummy twat, and he brought this all on himself. Hubris and etc. Yeah. will bring this on his own head, and I'm fine with that. That's that's the attitude I got from the whole thing, as opposed to, oh, fuck, I hope he makes out of this all right. It's like, no, I hope he gets a big old bullet in yeah, the face. I don't think you're ever supposed to like Buddy, are you? He's, yeah. he's just, a, just a sleazy, scummy, but like half the cast are and it's this weird thing of like it's trying to do this like oh look at all these cool hit men and cool and it very much tries to do that in the second one and i think taking that tone from the first one we talked about the the tonal shift between the cops and the rest of the the mad quote-unquote action scenes Uh, because the second one uh, we'll get to that fucking film yeah but it, it it really dials that wackiness up to 11 where there's like the Nazis are literally cartoon characters in the second yes. one. It's like, okay, they were they were silly and over the top and the neo-Nazi, like mm. Chris Pine, the, the Tremors, yeah. were all pretty like wacky and stuff. But they have like a big cartoon dude, like the big fat dumb one is in a yeah. fucking armor suit and he's running around yeah. basically with learning difficulties because he's the big fat one and they have a fucking tank thing that they yeah. just fire and oh yeah. god they hijack a circus oh yep yep exactly yeah and, and it really takes those wacky bits the 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 crazier action bits from the first one and just dials them up to 11 in a way that just doesn't work because they don't have the fucking budget for no it. And at least yeah. the first <laughs> one some of the action scenes they're, they're, they're pretty pretty decent it's fine, fine. direction like, uh, spoiler alert I don't particularly like either of these films, but the first one is a fuck ton better than the second one. <laughs> I'll give you the, the, the summation of my review, if I may. Oh, I, I love it when we can refer back to... The past. The redrighthand.co.uk of the past. So Matt wrote a review I in 2006, I want to say. The release was, there was January 2007, but the, I was at a screening earlier. And I was 23 at the time. The fact that I was 23 is key to this, because I thought, eh, this is all right. And the more I... You know, I was him. You know, more, uh, over a decade has passed, uh, nearly 15 years. And I'm like, oh, did I write a load of embarrassing shit? And it's like, of course you did. It was the past. Always be I embarrassed so. by it. But my actual summation, I'm like, oh, no, I completely still agree with that. Fine. Okay. So I don't think we've had a moment where we've gone back to one of your old reviews and we've gone, oh, Matt, oh, no, have we? <laughs> uh, you Die Hard from 4, me- I was a bit too go- lenient. Yeah. Did you give Prometheus quite a good rating at the yeah, time? Yeah, I thought it was all right. And I still stand by that. I think it's all right still. So, yeah. yeah but, but that's 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 the opinion now. So my summation was... I, I hate things harder than you do, I feel. <laughs> that's fair. My, my, try, try to, my I hate plenty, rage. but I think I've seen so much that by comparison, it ain't that bad. That's, that's a good point. So, too messy to produce anything of true worth, but the degree of fine acting compensates when the script cannot. I... I'm fine with that summation. Yeah, yeah, three out of five. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. yeah, three out of five sounds about right to me. It's not. Yep. It's, I'd, it's, I'd give this a three out of five. The production's not, not good. Terrible. The yeah. writing's questionable. But the actual on-screen stuff in terms of the the production design, the 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 direction, the camera movements, the, the editing. Yes, on the jackets. That's classic. It's it's serviceable. I mean, it's it's kind of a fascinating film because as, as interesting and uh, sort of star-studded both at the time and kind of looking back now as it is 
it deploys its cast kind of in the worst way possible mm. <laughs> because it puts all of its charisma in the wrong places. Like mm. it has Ryan Reynolds playing the straight man, which he's he's fine he's at, but he's not Deadpool. particularly good. Yeah. Get him to be yeah. the funny one, and and he doesn't. His character is given so little to do. Like he's he's the ostensible protagonist. Yeah, that that's what confused me as well. It's like he disappears for a big chunk of the film, and then he comes back at the end to to have this big ethical quandary, supposedly <laughs> at the end of the film. Which I do. Who gives a fuck about that at the end? Like the, the kind of the twists and stuff. Exactly. Um, yeah, because as you said, Messner just kind of like shows up at the end, and it's like, well, yeah, it arrives at the hospital, and I. Okay, I'm like, oh, there's the there's the big twist. So it was hired by Esperanza. Oh my god, can you believe it? And he just unplugs them both and leaves. And it's like, okay, or do we care? He's been in the film for like <laughs> forty minutes total, and these films are like both ninety minutes long or something. Like they are mm. pel- pelting along, like they're pretty yeah. fast paced. Yeah, he hardly. I feel like he hardly gets any opportunity to give a shit about Ryan Reynolds. And as you said, in theory, he's the fucking protagonist, so we should do. If we don't give a shit about Buddy Israel, who's the guy who we're supposed to care about because he's going to get killed, we should at least care about the fucking cop who's supposed to be the main character. But we don't, Mm. because, Mm. as you said, Tim, we don't get a chance to. And Ryan Reynolds is like, I'm going to play this one straight. And then you also have stuff like you've got Chris Pine as a neo-Nazi, and he gives this weird, sort of weirdly sensitive performance <laughs> um with a with a decent amount of like charisma behind it and so you're left like oh i liked that guy oh wait he's a neo-nazi <laughs> do, do we have more empathy for the neo-nazi than we do for the fbi agent like i, th- yes. I think i think you got this one wrong i think you got the mix did you did yeah. you cast the did you write the right thing i'm not sure <laughs> i sent the wrong envelopes to the wrong people oh no they're in the wrong roles <laughs> Um, it, it is also frustrating that I, I realize actually we've done a sort of not necessarily cardinal sin, but we have done something that's not very good of us. So I apologize in advance. Smoke and Aces is the story of a <laughs> <laughs> just very briefly what actually happened. It's the story of a Vegas magician and performer who gets in with the mob, gets in very deep. They love him for some reason. As in the, in the quote in the film is, "Wise guys love this guy for some reason." And what's his name, Matt, or nickname? Buddy rather? Israel. Nickname Aces. Yes. Aces. Ah. Yeah. Ah. Buddy Aces Israel. Played by Jeremy Piven. Smoke smoking aces, right? Like yeah, that well known phrase. Um <laughs> so he has a hit put out on him because he starts getting a taste for the gang life and he starts doing stuff that's way out of his control. And it's like you are pissing off the wrong people. So far, that's you know, what is allegedly Sinatra territory. That's the thing that actually, you know, has happened in the past. Yep. And he's he's threatening to go to to kind of turn over everything he knows to the FBI. And of course, that's like, well, now we've got a problem. So they put out a hit on his head and all these very colourful characters descend on this one hotel in Vegas to get him. And you have a range of people, just in general, uh, from ex-cops working as these sort of bonds collecting, neo-Nazis, the FBI themselves keeping an eye on everything. Um, his two female mercenaries, there's Alicia Keys and Taraji P. Henson. And just lots of people just just heading towards... And, and also, like, uh, this one aloof sort of killer who is the master of disguise as it were and it's all very it's all it's all coming to a head in this hotel the problem is because it's a very short film as jack has pointed out all the tension and build-up kind of falls away a bit because you think shit this is going to kick off in the third act and it it mostly does except 
a lot of them don't get there. They die on the way. Um, it's like watching salmon swimming upstream and a couple of bears take them out. And you're like, oh, fuck. Well, yeah. I, was th- I was looking forward to Ben Affleck salmon. I was, I was looking forward to seeing all those fish have sex. <laughs> yeah, now all I've got is this one fish going, <sighs> film's over. Um, and, um, and that's uh, Chris Pine's character. But no, it's, it's, it's a very strange thing. So at the end of the movie, it concludes with this thing that's a complete 180 where you have this moment of actual genuine tension in a, in a lift. Won't get too, too much into it. Where, uh, is it Nesta Carbonell? Carbonell, Carbonell yeah. The, the guy, guy with intense eyes. Yes. Yes. I remember as the mayor of uh, Gotham in the Dark yes. Knight trilogy. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, so he um, kills Ray Liotta's character and there's a moment of actual a genuine tension and genuine connection between him and, and Ryan Reynolds. It's, it's quite well done, actually. Uh, and also confusion from Taraji P. Enz's character. She starts unloading a fucking 50 cal like M82 straight into the building from another hotel. That's that's a really fun little scene. I really enjoy that quite a lot. Yeah, that's a that's a really competently put together yeah. little action tension scene. Precisely. And of course, Clint Mansell's the guy doing the music, so it's actually a really cool score in the background as well. Anyway, so this is going on. And you think to yourself, oh, shit, shit, shit. Then a few small other things happen that I won't go too much into for, I guess, spoiler reasons. I, I spoiled the ending, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> the big twist is that the hit put out in the first place is that actually Jeremy Piven's character, Buddy Aces Israel, is actually the kid of the main mob boss, and it's actually a family feud, and you're like, holy shit. And Ryan Reynolds go, decides that this whole thing, or this, because it talks about this for a flashback to his old FBI agent who was going undercover, turns out that the mob boss is the old FBI agent. You're like, oh shit. And that's a relatively interesting plot point. Badly it's delivered. super telegraphed, though. Oh, yeah. And that's because, the problem. It's very obvious. For no for no reason, in like the first 15 minutes, they start talking about, oh, yeah, Sparazzo, he took out the this old FBI agent, one of the original FBI guys who who was an expert at going undercover, mm-hmm. and Sparazzo took him out. And and let me talk a bit more about this old FBI agent for no apparent reason. <laughs> yep. This definitely won't be relevant later. So plot-wise, that would have been fine. But as you say, and to be fair, I think a little bit of signposting, I can understand why they did it, not defending it too much, mm. because there are so many fucking people in this movie that you'd forget. So I can, I can sort of not forgive it, but I understand it. Anyway, so then Ryan Reynolds is like, well, this has all been for shit. My friend died for nothing. You know what I'm going to do? These two fuckers on life support that can give away the entire, you know, just literally hand over all criminal activity and pull the plugs on life support. I'll lock the door. You can't come in here. And I'm going to hand him a badge and gun. Yeah, I'm not an FBI person anymore. And it's like, wow, you're in a different movie. And even then, I put yeah. in, my, in my review, it's like, this feels like two or three movies fighting each other. Um, but that's the base principle of what Smoking Aces is. Um, not to to harp on the uh, crime boss is actually FBI twist. Yes, because it's so completely un like it's it's super unnecessary. You you have the twist of oh it turns out Jeremy Piven is actually the crime boss's son. Mm. Then you have the twist of oh he doesn't want to kill him because he's going to the FBI. He wants to kill him so he can have his heart for a heart because he's a donor, I guess, because he's his son. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. a ruthless thing, and I don't mind that. Y- yeah, and then you then you have the twist of. Oh, and it turns out that the guy is the FBI agent, and like that is so completely unnecessary. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind the clumsy way that it's set up if it was more central. But you could oh, yeah. take that, in, you could take that entire twist out, and it would not affect the film. Ah, uh, one, one iota. I agree. Oh, and what's the twist in Smoking Aces Two? Huh. I wonder. That was oh. even more <laughs> fucking annoying and painful. Jesus, is it? Um, is it? Is it the the old police guy, the old agent? Is uh 
It's, uh, I don't know, is he, um, hmm, let's see, is he some kind of mob boss or something? <laughs> <laughs> Who saw that one coming? Here's an interesting question. Smoking Aces 2. I know why it isn't a sequel, because most, most of the characters are dead by the end of the film. Why is it a prequel? <laughs> <laughs> because reasons. The, the, the only returning characters, technically, are one of the Tremor brothers. Yep. By the way... The one we don't know. He d- he does really well in, in Smoke and Aces. He's very ratty, like all over the place. But mm. I couldn't give a fuck in Smoke he's, and Aces. He's one. the the least famous of the Tremor brothers. Yes, yeah. he's not Chris Pine. One is Chris. He's not Chris Pine. He's not Kevin Durant. Yeah, he's the other he's one. Maury he's Sterling. Maury Sterling. Fuck Maury Sterling. <laughs> and to be fair, again, the, his entrance into in Smoke and Aces one is better than Kevin Durant's. The three of them get out of a car. He gets out and he's just straight to camera. Looks up and then he just starts getting a sharpie marker out and draws a Hitler tash on himself. I'm like, this is fucking ridiculous. And yep. then yeah. Kevin Durant just gets out and sits on the hood of the car. That's fairly flat. And then you got in the back seat Chris Pine chewing on a fucking chicken bone. And I'm like, <laughs> this is brilliant because it's so fucking stupid, but I love it. And that, 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 that I'd enjoy. But none of that, in terms of the quality of the production design or the budget or any of that shit, is present in this prequel, Smoke and Aces 2, Assassin's Ball. Uh, and the other returning and character you've got yes, is Tommy, Tommy Flanagan's Laszlo Soot, the Master of Disguise. The legendary Hungarian hitman from the first one who... No, He's so Scottish, about. it's so obviously Scottish. Yeah, exactly. Why is he yeah. Hungarian? <laughs> <laughs> one of the most Scottish men in the world. There is technically one more returning character. Oh. Because uh, there is an FBI agent in the prequel who says about how he's currently undercover as a club owner because the FBI base has a club on top of it for yes. some reason in this film. Fucking jazz. Um, yes. Uh, and he says how he's got another ca- uh, another undercover persona that he's working on that's a gangster guy. And, oh, and he shows up in, or rather, he is the same oh, character yeah. from Smoking Aces. I didn't realise that. Was... Of course he is. Agent Little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. yes yeah. Of course. Uh, I forget the name of the character he plays in Smoking Aces, but we uh, we find out that the character who had no he's, indication he's, that he was an undercover FBI. He's in the first one. That's it. Yeah. Um, I watched them recently. <laughs> yeah, there was no indication that, that he was Fucking anyone man. other than he's supposed to there's be. So, no. There's just the unnecessary twists that, like, they think... That's that's what the whole film hinges around. It's like you will never see this twist coming, and they build it up as like it's like it's a fucking M Night Shyamalan film, where like where the twist actually fucking matters. Like oh, but this guy's undercover as well. It's like I don't know who he is. I don't give a fuck. Here's 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 a fucking sentence for you. Okay. If you're going to cast a meek desk jockey wheelchair bound character who's like oh, why would they come after me don't cast tom fucking berenger the guy from platoon <laughs> who had to be calmed down by willem dafoe if you're being calmed down by willem dafoe you're not a, the kind of individual who can be like oh I, I i was just in this accident with my wife and kid oh no i'm in a wheelchair oh, don't worry about me and in the same year that tom berenger was in fucking inception no yeah. Um, so we should. So I'd imagine that some people have seen Smoking Aces who who are listening to this. Some people, yeah. I doubt many people have seen Smoking Aces Two: no. Assassin's Ball, which was a straight to DVD release. Mm, you can and fucking it, tell. You can <laughs> get into that. Um, so just to summarise that quickly, it is a prequel. Good luck. 
technically, <laughs> about a low or, or like a mid-level FBI agent, a kind of desk jockey uh, guy, a wheelchair-bound mm. desk jockey guy who is played by uh, Tom Berenger, as we mentioned, um, sure. who suddenly gets a hit for three million dollars put on him that has to be carried out at a specific time my birthday um, on on matt's yep. birthday and Line so the, the fbi puts him into this protective custody in like a bunker underneath a bar that's staffed exclusively by fbi agents i think the justification there is is it's something to do with prohibition like it used to be a prohibition it's chicago yeah yeah they, they talk about that they talk about oh we yeah. used to use this to just move the weapons and the booze or whatever it's like but they've also okay. gone off the grid there's no pensions if they fail and like yeah what? yeah so you again have a bunch of assassins coming for him you have other parts of the tremor clan one of the tremor brothers that we're familiar with they're the neo-nazis yep. uh yeah the neo-nazis the Tremor father. Um, we'll come back to that in a minute, because yeah, for Fritz, uh, yeah. Another, another brother and a and a and a Tremor sister. Mm. Um, we have a female uh, assassin who does poison, uh, and we have Vinnie Jones, who's just sort of a tough guy with sort of gadgets. He, maybe his, his hitman name is the Surgeon, even though it, it's because yes. in the opening scene. He um, performs, he talks, he shaves a guy's head and he's like, did you know, parts of the brain, if you smash in like, you know, in your frontal cortex, it takes your eyesight away. And it's like, yes. Are you about to Hannibal Lecter, Ray Liotta this shit? Like, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I assumed he was going to do the monkey brains and all that bullshit. And of course, it's Finbar McTeague. Of course. And and Vinnie Jones then, does when he actually does his you know, going to the location. He doesn't do anything brain surgery-wise. He just pulls a gun. He, he's just Vinnie Jones. He's, I, I described it as, when I was watching it with Emma, like, this feels like somebody read, like, the Wikipedia article of Lockstock or Snatch, and we're like, <laughs> I know, I'll make my own American version of this. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you want really quick edits and mad? Could, could we need to talk about the fucking editing in this film? We'll go back to it. Yeah, that's yeah, we'll, we'll often, that's often yeah. not something I I bring up. We'll, we'll let we Tim get through the plot. That, that's the kind of stuff I don't particularly yeah uh, talk about. But fuck me. For those who don't know, Vinnie Jones. When I was a little boy, or maybe a long, young sort of teenage year, he raised he, me good. He did he, <laughs> on the cold he, ass streets of South <laughs> London. He played, I believe, for Wimbledon. He was a football player who squeezed another man's balls. He's a famously hard football player. Um, he, uh, yeah, but the whole I'm an hard man, and he went lock stock, and it was like it's been emotional, all that sort of stuff. And fair enough, he he acts in inverted comedy. He's fine. I think he's, he's functional. He's the juggernaut, bitch. He's that too. <laughs> but he's famous because on the football pitch, he was a bit of a lad, a bit mean. And Gaza, who was on the other team, maybe Tottenham, whoever it was at the time, he went, "Oh, fucking come here, you!" And he squeezed his bollocks, and I was like. That's a very unusual thing to do. That's, a, um, that's incredibly homoerotic for the, because for the of beautiful that, game. He earned a reputation of being an hard man. It's like, I don't think that's what you are. <gasps> but films perpetuated that. So now he is. And he goes, hello, I'm Vinnie Jones. And I've got this accent. He's proto Jason Statham. If he showed up on your set, you and you took you'd take a look at him and go, "Yeah, I think I'm, you're going to cast as a like a thuggish type person." Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it fits his appearance. He doesn't look like a you know refined gentleman, even though he sort of like his character kind of almost is like James Bond. He, exactly, the problem. He's exactly. like it is in this in the yeah. second one. He he is this like 
supposed to be cool and suave and I can smell the gun oil and I'm being yeah. all sexy. Like, what? I don't know what that means. Why are you the surgeon? Why are you, why are you not called the hooligan or something? Like, yeah. fucking play <laughs> the character. An incredibly unconvincing romantic subplot with the, the female Oh, poisoner. yeah, fucking hell. We'll, we'll get back to that shit because there was so okay. many things. Yeah. So, story. So just, to, just to finish the story, quite, quite basically, story. all the assassins show up and try and break into the bar and quite easily because it's a bar <laughs> yeah half of them just walk in yeah they um the fbi are trying to find out they they think that all the assassins are connected and it turns out that they've all done jobs for the us government they've all oh. worked for us <laughs> and tom tom berenger has actually is actually the one who's hired them <gasps> dun, dun, and he's dun. brought them there to take them all out <laughs> because he is and then the film ends. <laughs> Did you so see him die? They no, include maybe. They include in the middle this thing about Hal Luco. Hal <laughs> Luco. And it's like Hal Luco is just sort of Haliatus Lucophilus, which is like yeah. yeah, which is the Latin for bald eagle. And it's like Oh, oh nice, you got you got, you got a true patriot. You got bald eagles on the back of your cards. How cool. Yeah. And so there's some amazing shots, which, which thinks it's fucking the usual suspects, and it's going back and Kaiser Sozaing it, but it's not. It's, it's so the it Kaiser really Sozaing yeah. yeah. But it's like just a green screen of him in front of the fucking Washington Monument going, Hello, mm-hmm. what the fuck <laughs> is this noise? Yeah. Um, and it's the whole, did, did you see the body? Did you see him? Like, he, was cin- he could have leveled a city block. He was sitting on some C4. He's like, well, no, if he was he would have leveled a city block. That's how explosives work, you fool. Um, (laughs) But, um, yeah, the story ends basically with the whole, ah, he got away, rascal. But his plan is bullshit. It's like Dark Knight levels of Joker bullshit. It's like, what are you talking about? Well, I'm going to be this meek, timid FBI guy that I am, and I'm going to summon all these people that, as you guys have mentioned... The American government, and this is the, this is something I actually felt very uncomfortable about when I was watching it. Oh, I fucking I I was going through this film thinking this is a bad film, and then I got to the end and I was like, oh fuck this film, <laughs> yeah, fuck it in the ear. <laughs> yeah. So it, it starts with the, the opening five minutes. By the way, we'll tell you everything you need to know about this film because it's so erratic over the place, and it shows you the end of the God. movie as it were. Then it shows you about three minutes of text. It's painful, and then the end yep. of the movie says, it felt like oh, fucking Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> that's a disservice to Metal Gear Solid and you know it I, I agree but it, it felt like that I know what you mean it felt like the, the DARPA chiefs as he's shooting oh, no, on the toilet you're entirely correct that yeah, thing with yeah. the yeah, yeah. the US government in 1967 snake they did the thing and the fuck's sake it's it's what a 13 year old fanboy writes of, of, of Metal Gear Solid and they come up with this um, so so basically <laughs> When they're talking about this true patriot thing, it's like, they worked for us. They were our guys. What do you mean? They were attacking our agents? No, no, no. They worked for the US government. You're like, right. And then it gives four, I think maybe three or four, real world incidents. And that's where you go, yeah. Oh. It, cuts to, it cuts to real footage. Yes. Actual yeah. real footage of like, like hey, Madrid do you remember bombings. When, do you remember when like, the US oh. government assassinated this politician? You're like, Oh God! Oh, that's yeah. real. Oh, that's terrible. Like, yeah. yeah. It talks about the the bombing in Madrid. It talks about uh, assassination. It talks about um, when a U.S. Marine or Army trooper or Ranger or something like that killed some civilians in in Iraq or Afghanistan. Yep. 
yeah, actual incidents. Yeah. And then it said, oh, no, no, all these things happened. There were these assassins. I was like, what? So, for example... Um, of all the fucking cartoony bullshit movies yeah. to tie into real-world tragedies... Yeah, so Tommy Flanagan, for example, Laszlo Soot, the guy who... The, who he decides on one random hit for the government or something, dresses up as a... And the thing is, they show these sort of weird scenes, in addition to the real footage, of him mm. in a US military garb shooting down like a woman and kids going, yep, that was me. Army's never done anything wrong. It's like, no, 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 no. And he's there to basically bring them all together so he can kill them. And then he sneaks off and he puts, he does like, it's so painful. He puts on a hat and it's like almost like the saint music's going to go. He just drives off and it's like, (laughs) I did a good job. It's like this went from being a pretty poorly made movie to a slap in the face. Now, I will say this much and I'll only say it once. There are two things that I will say about this movie in a positive light. Thing number one. Thing number one. Michael Parks is fantastic and almost always is. He's the guy who plays Fritz Tremor, who's I, the dad. I, I agree. Michael Parks is the best performance he in this entire He is brilliant film. because he fits a grindhousey, cartoony kind of world. He he is noticeably from like, um, he's worked with uh, Rodriguez a lot, Robert Rodriguez and, and Quentin Tarantino things. He plays usually the same cop, basically, but he's a very grindhouse kind of character. Like, well, he's he's a recurring character in that universe, isn't he? He, he is, yeah. That exact cop, yeah. yeah. And... I think he's great. I think he's really fun. And he has a lot of fun with this movie and he's really stupid. And he, I think it's good. Spo- s- spoiler alert, he is one of the only two actors that I retain for Yay. my picks. Yes. Nice. Well done. Okay. Nicely, nicely done. I like that. I approve of that. Thing number two, if you told me this movie had nothing to do with Smoke and Aces, ignore the Smoke and Aces title. If you just told me that somebody had made a film, like a friend of yours or a low budget independent group or something, um, had made an independent film about, you know, a very silly cartoony movie about assassins and shit like that, whatever. I would say it's actually quite, it's quite an ambitious project because if you just said this was a small independent, nobody made this and it's just, you know, unfunded, in the dark, scrabbled together my own money like, you know, fucking Kevin Smith's first movie or something, you're like, that's actually quite good. And you know what? There's a lot of really crazy transitional stuff. You're trying some bold, interesting things. It's quite unique. Fair play to you. But this is not. This is a studio-backed, straight-to-DVD movie, and it looks and feels like trash. So, for example, if I told you guys I'd made a movie and this was it, sorry, <laughs> I'd apologise first of all, <laughs> but it'd be like, shit, man, that looks really good. Or if you say, like, oh, it's like um, um, that's Stuart Ashen, for example. It's like, oh, this is the new Stuart Ashen movie. Like, um, yeah, yeah, that's that's a there's a lot of energy to it, a lot of big stuff going on. And the CGI explosions, they look alright, except it's not. It's a studio film, which means the CGI looks like shit. And it's like this is not good enough. I mean, this is the thing, like I, I appreciate this is this was almost a decade ago and, and things have yeah. improved since then. But like, Matt, you do make films. You make a film that is also about a series of assassins. <laughs> Speaking and, of low budget series about assassins. Yeah. And mm. the special effects that you have in your series are better than the special effects in these films. Oh, thank you, Tim. Like, yeah. The explosions in this film look like ass. They, they really look do. Like, they look like a comedy sketch show where they're taking the piss out of a low budget blockbuster. Yeah. Um, God, the explosions are the worst. They're just yeah. cut and paste fucking After Effects bullshit. It's like, we found an explosion template. Let's just <laughs> put it on top of Copy the, and paste the shot, quickly. I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
you know what really takes me out of that? Because the moment you think to yourself, ah, it's quite, quite low budget. This is probably going to be quite fun. And then you hear Evanescence and you go, oh, you motherfuckers had money. Oh, yeah. shit. <laughs> How is it this bad? It's Queens of the Stone Age as well. Queens of the fucking Stone Age is in there. I don't know. Yeah. And I, I can't tell. I, I tried to find this out and I found conflicting reports. So I don't, I'm not sure if this was shot on film or shot on digital. Mm. But either way, it looks, looks like shank. it was shot. It looks like it was shot with a toilet roll tube. <laughs> like I made the, I, I said at the time, I, Emma was like, "God, this looks crap," and I'm like, "Yeah, looks like it was shot in an iPhone 5. It looks fucking rubbish." The musical cues are quite strange, especially when it takes you out of the situation so much because they're so recognizable. I mean, I'm like, like that's some early 2000s shit. I know that crap. I, I literally had a moment that. where I was like. Is this Evanescence? And Emma didn't believe me. And I was like, no, seriously. And I, I passed the headphones over to her. And I was like, no, seriously, this is Evanescence. Yeah. And then I was like, it's, this sounds like a really shit cover of an Evanescence song or something like well, that. I think that's partly because they edit the song weird. They cut yeah, the beat they in do. where like, they wanted to make it work for, to show that this character is martyring herself because she's fucking stupid and not because she did anything noble. They, they, much the same with the first one, they just gather these characters together and kill them all off when things happen. But I just take a second to talk about, talk about the women in this movie. There's two of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's Caitlin Tremor, AK-47, and she is the Tremor sister. Uh, it's interesting, in the, in, the, in, the, in the first Smoke and Aces, you don't really know about the other family. Obviously, they're all dead, nobody cares, and they all seem to hate each other. Mm. But yeah, Caitlin Tremor is... Which is the same as the other Tremors. That's actually on brand. She's... Uh, baby from Devil's Rejects. Oh no, Devil's Rejects is good. But I know no, you I mean, like Devil's. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, that, no, I mean that in a bad way. Right. That she's just yeah. copy paste. Fucking. No, I, I think that's completely <laughs> yeah. fair. That's, yeah. that's, that's I like Devil's true. Rejects a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ca- character introduced having sex with someone in order to get information out of them. Classic. Yeah. Yeah. Precisely. And it fucking. I'm horny as hell for my sister character, Lester Tremor from the fucking first film, who does actually just straight up grope her in her sleep and stuff, and it's like, oh. And she, actually a fairly competent character, she does what she's supposed to do, then she just bursts through the wall and gets shot in them, and they're like, oh, oh. There's so many moments where people have like a drop on people, like if you're, one of the things in like the first film, these people are quite competent, they just all bottlenecking into this one situation. And I mean, this thing actually, weird enough, I cover in Super Happy Kill Time, if you have people who don't work together and don't have a plan and they all come together as these individual unique forces, you end up just falling over each other too much. That's just how it unfortunately tends to be. Mm. And that sort of comes across in this, except the fact that so many moments where a character has another one dead to rights, like when Vinnie Jones has the one of the tremors in his sights in the bar and he's like, all right, and he throws a flashbang. You're like, what are you doing? Just shoot him. <laughs> then throws a flashbang. And he shoots three bullets into his chest Obviously, he's wearing a vest, and he's like, oh, no, my gun's out of bullets. I better just punch him. What the fuck is this? And then <laughs> he puts, like, a, 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 a detonating device on him and then steps backwards and gets just filled with bullets, just peppered. And yep. it's like, you're shit. Yep. So back to the two women. Because the reason that Vinnie Jones does this, by the way, is because he was moved by the death <laughs> of a woman. Um, and the other woman is the femme fatale character, uh, Ariella, I want to say. Uh, and she is the... Sexy poison lady who does the fucking poison that's ivy original bat idea, lips. Right? Yep. Um, and that's again, that's arguably fine. She's a character who's had a shitty childhood, killed her own parents, poisons people. Fine, 
nothing untoward with that. Played by Martha Hegareda, who you may know from Altered Carbon fairly recently. Yes. That's how she, she was, isn't she? Fuck. Yeah. She was much better than that. She's good. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, she poisons people. And the only people she gets poisoned is a priest at the start to establish who her character is. And in that moment, by the way, when she poisons that priest and someone talks to her and they, she puts a knife to their throat, the whole film's twist is gone because I can see who the actor is. And it's like, oh, <laughs> that's ruined in minute four. <laughs> that sequence also has her start out dressed as a nun and then <laughs> yes! down to her underwear. To like yeah. really and like to... fancy lingerie type stuff. Yeah. Uh, hijab, niqab kind of get up and it's like, oh, oh no, I get it. But also, ah, uh, fuck, this is bad. Anyway, so she then goes close to this bar and this this douchebag called Troy because of course he's called Troy is just frankly just a rapist oh um, yeah yeah just a rapist bra uh, college frat boy kind of thing and um, he then assumes because of the way she's dressed literally and when she walks around that she's clearly a prostitute throws money at her and then she she kills him and she's like ah you know that saves a, a lifetime of uh, terrible encounters from other women it's like sure fine and then she gets to the bar and then literally gets shot. <laughs> yeah, she does absolutely nothing. She's just sort of sitting around waiting to poison someone, I guess. By kissing them only. In a yeah. one fill ampoule of, of poison yeah. that she peels off multiple times. And apparently she does have a gun as well, because... Oh yes, so I can smell the oil. Sniffs the oil. <laughs> I thought but you used oil on my skin. never fucking uses it. She just dies. No. In the first eight seconds of and being go, in that place. It's like, are oh, you dying? Oh, no, it's terrible. We're going to have a bad night, aren't we? And then I she says... Cold. I cold. I don't think you're supposed to feel cold. Yeah, I and then he goes in to kiss her. Bad. And she's like, no, wait. And to be fair to Vinnie Jones, she says, no, wait. No. And he stops. <laughs> <laughs> and she takes off the poison lips and goes, oh, go on then. known gentleman, Vinnie Jones. <laughs> yeah, but then he kisses her and the shot hangs on it for so fucking long. Like I'm minutes, like, it feels what like. What is this? Um, anyway, then he goes outside <laughs> and gets killed really as well. Just a really awkward, awkward kiss. It is terrible. Um, we, talked, we talked mostly about the assassins so far. Oh, yeah, this, sorry, yeah. When in fact, they don't actually take up the bulk of the screen <laughs> no. time. Most of it is spent on the fucking FBI agents in this compound. Uh. Most of whom are entirely interchangeable tall white dudes. White dudes, yeah. Apart from one, who's like the main character, who we, like, Jack and I both thought this quite independently. (laughs) Looks like Stuart Ashen's former (laughs) sequelizer. He is. Him and Emile Hirsch crossed over. It's It's creepy. It's it's, it's him and Emile Hirsch smushed into a a grundle fly. Um, (laughs) And it's... it's, I couldn't stop being like, God, Clayne Crawford looks like Ashen's. Why does he look he's so much like He's in the grey like suit this and everything. So weird. It's the grey suit. It's the hair. He's got the perfect little yeah. Ashen's beard. Oh, my God. Uh, I looked up Clayne Crawford because I've literally never seen that motherfucker in anything else. <laughs> for good reason, because he's terrible. <laughs> and I was like, he's, he seems to be fairly infamous for having terrible fucking facial hair. Just every photo of him was with a, an equally terrible moustache. A fucking <laughs> handlebar moustache or one of those like thin pencil pedo moustaches. And then he shows up looking like fucking Ashens. <laughs> it's so weird. If I remember correctly, and I might, I might be getting this guy wrong I, I, I shall double check but I'm pretty sure that he is the guy playing Briggs in, in the, the Lethal Weapon TV series in, he is in the yes. Lethal he Weapon is. TV yes. series I, I looked him up yes yeah and was like notoriously an asshole, and is kind of the reason that show ended if memory serves I mean, yeah. because he was 
Play Such Mel Gibson, go method. <laughs> yeah. You can't play a young Mel Gibson without being a cunt. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and this film spends so long with him and mm-hmm. he has zero charisma. The Quite the opposite of mm. uh, Stuart Ashen's. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Good save, Stuart can act. Good save. Yeah. Stuart can act well. Um, but this guy is a vacuum. He really does, as you yeah. said. He just, he, and he's so black. I don't get how he's the main character. And he's so bland. There's nothing about him. You might as well point the camera at a bowl of oatmeal. <laughs> you know, it is. I, you know, Vinnie Jones's character in this is stupid, mm. and they can't seem to decide exactly what kind of character he they want him to be. Yeah, but he at least has some personality, and Vinnie Jones himself has a bit of charisma about him. Yeah, and he they, can act they, as a sort of. They neglect he can to be follow. Vinnie Jones. Yeah, like. I, I would imagine that if you asked people who enjoyed Smoking Aces 1, like, what did you enjoy about that? No one says, I liked the FBI stuff. They sa- they're going to oh, yeah. say, Agent Baker I liked was my favorite assassins. character. Said yeah. now or never. Yeah, it's this weird thing of, like, who thought he would be the main character? And he, like, as you said, Matt, like, yeah, the, oh, the, the bad guy got away with it. And then Baker just fucking shoots him in a car at the end. You're like, hmm. really? This is what we're going yeah. for. Where I guess he's the hero because he did what no one else could do and stopped He did him. what Brian Reynolds did at the end of the other one. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Stop the bald eagle from escaping. Or whatever. It's like, how did he know he was there? Like, why is he... Who, who gives a fuck about Baker? And granted, his fucking agent mates are a bunch of fucking morons. They're all they are really idiots stupid and just and die terrible. stupidly. Yeah. The guy, like, uh, like when Soot knocks on their other agents, uh, uh, like closet door thing it's like hey agent damare or demare hey uh (laughs) yeah who was asking and then steals his steals his face and does the whole mission impossible thing of game of thrones thing i guess which is so stupid i like what he does in the first film so it only turns up like two or three times they show a flashback of him being this um black guy in a wheelchair in the first bit and he just you know Again, because it's a different actor, obviously. He doesn't go blackface. Mm. Um, yeah, considering Tommy off. Flanagan's in both of these films, he's yes. barely in either of them. Yeah, exactly. And then he plays... He actually, he has a character that he's trying to be, and he's gargling, and it's quite interesting, almost like theatre methods, as it were, of impersonating character. He's got a recording of this guy's voice saying, say this phrase specifically. It's like, ah, fucking whatever, all right. Do it, uh, say that. And he shoots him in the head, and he's like... Then he's trying to make the voice sound like it. My name is this because it will, you know, the the keyword trigger of getting into that character's voice, and that's that's quite interesting. And he's he's like mm. gargling vodka and shit because it will horse him up a little bit more. My name is this, and he's trying. And then eventually he inadvertently kills Joel Edgerton's character to maintain his cover, and that's why he's quite silent and standoffish and and not very talkative because he hasn't got the character right yet. He's it's mm. it's an emergency. Whereas Soot's version of Demare or Demare, what the fuck his name is, character is just shit. He has a great mask, obviously, and then he doesn't just say like, a fucking word. He just sits there like a robot, like yeah, yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm fine. And it's like, hey, report in. Is it you? Are you okay? What's going on? Is it what's what's going on? And he's like, off long pause. He'll go, it's fine. Oh, <laughs> this is shit. But uh, no, you're right. When they when they're trying to keep him out, and then they just let him in. It's just, it's all kinds of fucking dumb. And the characters are just remote, remarkably cliche and rote and, and very straightforward. It's like, you know, 
I'm going to write a, a, a war movie and I want to have a squad. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the squad has to have a rookie guy who's never been in the war before. One really old veteran is a cantankerous bastard. One sarky guy from Brooklyn who knows everything. He's a bit of a smart wise guy, but you know what? He's all right. That kind of shit. And you just transpose that to the FBI guys and they're all fucking annoying. And also, it's, Smoke and Ace is... I don't remember being having huge undercurrents of quietly offensive shit. It was yeah. There's there's a lot of transphobia in this. There really there, is. There's it's, a bunch uh, of transphobia. The women are treated terribly. There's fat phobia because the big fat guy has to be like have learning difficulties. Basically, like yeah. God, it, it's all kinds of weird shit, and it's it's not like the cartoony weird shit in the first one. It's like just hateful shit. Yeah, and they built that all up, and, I, and there's that moment as you mentioned, like the transphobic bit. I'm like, hey, how do you know she's a transvestite and he goes gross bleh. Mm. is this is this 1982 like what are you doing and um, again as i'm watching this emma is sat next to me and she's like when is this set and i'm like i have (laughs) i have no fucking idea because they don't give any indication of it and then the the woman in like the the fbi call center or whatever goes like oh blah 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 post 9 11 i'm like it's the early 2000s what the fuck is going on it's it's tricky as well because it's supposed to take place before smoking aces one so all the atro- atrocities that they've referenced, the real world ones, like the Madrid mm. bombing was 20, 2000. The Madrid bombing, by the way, was done by the Tremor brothers. Just so you know, <laughs> fucking whatever. Fuck this film. It, they might, as, they might like that bit at the end of the film is like if you had a wacky races film and it ended with Dick Dastardly flying into the two towers. Catch the pigeon, catch the pigeon. That's actually very on point. It's like, like, yeah. like tonally, it is about that. Yeah, because they do. They they hijack I'm not saying a circus. I need that in my life. But I might need that in my life. <laughs> they hijack a circus and literally put. I want to say some of the uh, the clowns are dwarfs, but anyway, the point is they put these clowns they into yeah, they this are. cannon yeah. and they launch them into the bar full of C4 and blow them up. Su- because- suicide bombing clowns, because that's cool and edgy, right, guys? Yeah, it's and it's really cartoony and silly. Uh, and the way it's shot is bullshit. It looks like it's a fucking twisted metal or something. It's it, like- it's like, yeah, it, it feels like a film that was written by like a 14-year-old juggalo. <laughs> <laughs> It was like trying to impress his internet friends with how like mean and edgy he was. Yeah, it is. It is edge lord central shit. It's it's uh, it's Ready Player One. Um, <laughs> um, but actually, Ready Player One not that bad. But it's um, it's an incredibly frustrating movie because unlike the first film, which again I can't, I'm not, I cannot stress enough. The first film isn't great. It's it's fine. fine. It's fine. It's like the first Transformers film. I was like, yeah, that's all right. It's fine. And this one is painful on, mm. on on so many levels, on so many occasions. And I think there are a few ways you could have tweaked it to make it a little bit better. Um, the, even that the wacky... I mean, it, it's kind of... The, I don't know if you can watch a clip of it or not online, but um, the, the opening few minutes, which have so many different types of things going on because it's trying to give you this very... I don't know, I don't know what kind of... It's, it's very hyper, hyper-realistic sort of feel and hyper-violent feel and really saturated colours and it's all over the place and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I, I get that. It's trying to be. It's trying to do a thing. It's trying to create an aesthetic. And some of the the camera movements, the camera angle stuff, it's all very cartoony and creative. And if it was just that, it would have been fine. But you cut back and forth, as as Tim's already said, between again, we're going to launch 
clowns in, full of explosives into a bar for a very, very crappy looking visual effect to a bowl of porridge man in a grey suit talking about genuine real world horrors and, and, and terrible events. And you're like, yeah, no, <laughs> no. And again, just to do a bit of a parallel very briefly here. So as we mentioned maybe a couple of times before, I am a filmmaker and I've made my own things and I've won awards and such and so on and so forth. And, and not saying that makes me a bit right or wrong, but it means I have an opinion and a stake in certain things. I have a web series which has been running for a few years now and will continue to run. And it is about a group of assassins. Now, the difference is Super Happy Kill Time is a pastiche and homage of anime tropes. I try to drill down what it's like to be anime and not like the, you know, the sort of, oh, everything is anime, it's this. And it's like, no, no, no. This is from a fan of anime who's telling you this stuff like amnesia, motherfucker. It's going to be a big thing at some point because it always is, you know, various bits and pieces that turn up as well as the obvious things you may not be, uh, may be familiar with. But by making things about assassins who don't get along and that sort of stuff, it has the room for wacky, crazy cartoon hijinks. But I should point this out. As much as I do serious stuff with the plot to make it more interesting and engaging, it's a fucking live action cartoon. It has literal cartoon effects. The explosions are, are, are literally drawings, as it were. It's, it's a Tom and Jerry universe, for lack of a better phrasing. And I know that, and the actors know that, and the audience know that, and you go into it. So when something serious happens, you're like, oh shit. And something funny happens, and it's funny. Now, inadvertently, without me trying, in a future season, spoilers, I guess, we have a thing with a very, very hor horrible, authoritative, brutal police force and the streets being just curfewed and emptied. Now, this was written and filmed before things like, I mean, obviously, police violence has always been a thing, but Black Lives Matter movement and obviously <laughs> coronavirus. LA riots. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, the, the, you know, I'm talking about tropes in anime that appear and also things I want to talk about, obviously, in general, because I'm a um, filmmaker, is what I do. The difference is I don't set my cartoon universe in our universe and then say, and then the coronavirus happened, and then Black Lives Matter happened. It's like, no. Now I'm doing my own thing. Whereas this movie does cartoon bullshit, which is on the surface, technically fine. You can yeah. have this wacky nonsense. And then tries to make it serious, which is a bad move. And then tries to make it real, which is a really fucking Which, which is exactly move. what we talked about with the tonal disparity of the yeah. first one. Yeah. Like you get the serious FBI stuff and then the wacky assassin stuff. And then this dials both up to 11. So the two tonal the halves of it just go and separate and it's like yeah okay so you've gone extra wacky and deadly fucking serious with the other half so none of this makes sense none of this gels well together and they come smashing together at the end as if it makes any fucking sense yeah and it's just just crap just rubbish and you're supposed mm. to believe that baker is a fucking competent and interesting protagonist and then he makes ryan reynolds character look like fucking superman in comparison. <laughs> and, and just to talk about inconsistency, because we touched on it earlier, the editing in this film, oh my especially God. at the start, mm. the first note I made was, I want to kill this editor <laughs> because it's I agree with so you. frenetic. I had to look away a couple of times because it literally yeah. hurt my eyes. I had to take my glasses <laughs> yeah. off and I was like, fucking hell, I have to rub my eyes a bit because the, the strobe lighting, the fucking action scenes, it's like, Taken two, where it's fifteen cuts every eight seconds. <laughs> yeah. Oh god, I, unbearable fucking editing. Mm. Yeah, and even stuff like like the main kind of action set piece that they have when the uh, the tremors are storming the bar. 
Like, you would think that you've got, okay, right, you've got this as an actual set, clearly. Uh, and in fact, there's like a DVD extra where they talk so much about like, oh, yeah, we had this 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 bunker built and, you know, we've got this great physical, you know, and we really established the geography of it. And then the editing absolutely obliterates all of that. You have no idea where anything is yeah. in relation to anything else. Um, and so the action scenes just become completely incomprehensible. And it's like, you know, you get vinnie jones diving behind cover and it's like well hang on where was he where did he and where did he go where is he now in like is he safe now there are characters i thought that were dead that then turned up two minutes later i thought wait didn't you just die behind a fuck oh because yeah. it's not that part of the room oh jesus christ it's so hard to keep up with this shit it's it's just incompetent filmmaking unfortunately mm. so the director pj pesci or pesky i'm not entirely sure he's actually not incompetent which is more frustrating um, because I only know a handful of things he's done, and mostly TV stuff, and he did uh, another straight-to-DVD one around the same time. Uh, oh, Lost Boys The Tribe, which, again, not great, but and it probably on our, it's probably on our list, by the way, of things to fix. Um, but it's it's not awful. It's just, it's just a bit flat. It's not this kind of level of bullshit. Um, but he made um, From Dust Till Dawn 3, The Hangman's Daughter, which is a prequel to From Dust Till Dawn, which was on the list of potentials for this fucking season. <laughs> <laughs> and again, the problem, again, having seen those three films, it's not very good, but it's, it's, it's functionally competently directed, which makes it 10 times worse because that means he's actively gone out of his way to create a Joe Carnahan style, really erratic thing that Smoke and Aces is. And he's come up with this and it shows the whole like, oh shit. In the same way we talked about this in, in, in the 300 episode, Rise of an Empire. Sometimes it's more dangerous, for lack of a better word, for people to say, oh, well, that that, that director's a bit wacky. Should we get someone else in who can do a bit of a good job impersonating it? And it's like, well, good luck, because you're probably going to come up short. What's worse you're than find the real thing? It's a bad impersonator. That's exactly <laughs> it. That's yep, exactly, exactly it. Um, it's, like I said, the first one isn't that good, and I don't think this had any chance of being any good as soon as it was straight to DVD, because you just strip away... Any potential for the cast to be any good because they can't afford any of the fucking actors, and they're just like, hey, let's just get that guy who sort of looks like Ashens and Emil Hirsch just mushed <laughs> together. In a... I would love it. If that's the actual casting. <laughs> a guy who kind of looks like Ashens and Emil Hirsch. Yeah, we can't get Emil Hirsch, and I really like this. There's this British YouTube guy, right? So he's got this very distinctive like beard. Combat. It's kind of kind of like Simon Pegg, but not Simon Pegg. You know what I mean? <laughs> Bring me those people. Oh, they're all busy. <laughs> Bring me a man. Sure. <laughs> Bring, a man. Bring me a white man who can, can have terrible facial mm. hair if he needs to. So, having established that there's no way that a Smoking Aces sequel could possibly be good, we're going to try and fix it. Uh, but before we get into that, are, are you interested in becoming a distinctive assassin, <laughs> dear listener? Do you want a cool code name like the plague or the surgeon? How maybe, go? Maybe you're gonna, maybe you're gonna like uh, carve your initials into your victims and then sew them up, and we, <laughs> oh, we can call you the Stitcher. <laughs> but you can't have that. That's taken. That is an app for listening to podcasts. That's right, Stitcher. And if you were a particularly good assassin who had that as your calling card, you'd be Stitcher Premium, <laughs> who are our sponsor. Because they take everything about Stitcher, which is already a great standalone app for listening to your favourite podcasts on. None of this 
fussing around with music players. It's a dedicated app. But with Stitcher Premium, you also get ad-free access to all of your favourite shows. You get access to bonus episodes from shows that you follow, <laughs> comedy albums, and more. You can get all of that for $4.99 a month, or sign up for a year for thirty four ninety nine, all by going to stitcher.com slash premium to sign up. And if you use the promo code sequelizers when you're there, you will get a month free on top of all those other benefits. <laughs> so don't become an assassin, because it, you would be infringing the trademark of our good friends at Stitcher. Instead, channel that energy into listening to lots of podcasts. <laughs> Best read ever. Yeah. We all have one every uh, season. Oh, no, no. Zulu was this season as well. Um, so, Rotten Tomatoes, guys. Oh, oh shit, We've established yeah. that uh, Smoking Aces is a confused, a complicated, and a... Uh, Ranging depending on depending on who you ask out of the sequelizers, it's fine or it's bad. Mm-hmm. And then Smoking Aces Two is an absolute shit show. That's a piece of shit. Where do you guys think the critical consensus of Rotten Tomatoes has so, placed? I, I I've obviously not seen any spoilers for this. I did go and watch a couple of reviews of Smoking Aces and tried to see some of Smoking Aces Two and. I found Smoking Aces was the choice of the most underrated film of blah, 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 blah for a lot of, like, shitty YouTubers. And that, and that <laughs> what, you mean Edge Lords? Yes, exactly. Bro duo film reviewers on YouTube who are like, hey, man, I fucking love all that action shit. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> man, the most underrated film of 2013. That was, was- Smoking Aces 2. Was one of them Chris Pine and the other one Ben Affleck's face animated by Chris Pine's hand? Yes. yes. <laughs> I would subscribe to that channel. It was like most underrated movies of the 2010s or oh, something Jesus. like that. And I was like, fuck off. So my worry is Smoking Aces is higher than I think it is, but they kept saying underrated films. So yeah, I'm hoping it's yeah. I'm hoping it's fairly low. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I reckon it's in the 60s. I will go 63% for the first Smoking Aces, please. Matthew? Well, I'm very much on the same line as Jack there, I think. Um, I think some people like it, but I don't think it's good. Yeah. So. I, I don't think this did well at all. And I think this is one of those mm. moments where we get the classic sort of like, hey, sequelizers, don't you only do really, really good films that had sequels that were bad? No. I had that no. conversation with them, I'm not going to lie. We we do as 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 our new tagline. Bad sequels sorted. It's just the bad sequel bit. That's the important bit. Yep, if the film is mediocre, good, or otherwise, yes, we talk about whether Ross in the past and things like that. But ultimately, this opens up to broader spectrum. But I think we're. Um, I think Jack's right. I think I would have gone for sixty. So I'm going to say fifty-five, please. Ooh, okay. I think so. Like, you remember, like the Mummy was just disgustingly low, and yeah. like, what the fuck is this? We were outraged in yeah. series five. Yeah. So 55, please. Okay. And how about Smoking Aces, colon, Assassin's Ball? Colon's appropriate, yeah. Low as fuck. Yeah. Um, but who who could possibly enjoy this movie? It's got to be, I reckon it's in the teens. I'm going to go 17%, please. One seven. Okay. Not, not 70. <laughs> One seven percent, please. I'm going to do some logical bullshit now. Oh. It's about I want to say I want to say ten. I think it's oh. a ten. 
However, mm. I don't think a lot of people will have reviewed this straight to DVD piece of shit. I agree, but you can't. I think, you can't like it though, right? So. But no, but I mean, in order to get a ten, you'd have to get, for example, a ten percent. Sorry, you'd it has to have been ten reviews. Ten reviews at least, and one sure. of them's good. So I don't think there's many. So I think it's gonna be actually a little bit higher. So I'm gonna play it safe and say twenty. So if there's like five reviews and one of them is okay, that's twenty percent. Yeah, <laughs> I see what you mean. I see. Yeah. That that is some smart fucking rotten tomatoes it, in there. But I don't know if I trust that because that means technically there's a possibility that Smoke and Ace could be like really really low, and then for some reason Smoke and Ace Two is like eighty percent. Like what the fuck? Because <laughs> like two people reviewed it. And yeah, like, exactly, bro. Bro, bro that's exactly bro. what we needed, bro. It talks about the it talks about the fucking rack, bro. It's got hot hot babes and yeah. cool action, bro. <laughs> she was my sister, I'd fuck her. Cool. Well, we have talked about how. Rotten Tomatoes. We lo- we like to do the scores on it because it's it's, a, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing, but it is it is a deeply flawed system. <laughs> the metric true. makes no fucking sense. Yeah, yeah. and that, that's why we do it because we love it. <laughs> and nowhere is that better displayed than in the case of these two films. Uh-oh. Oh shit! <laughs> oh because no. Smoking Aces. Uh, so Jack, you guessed sixty-three. I did yeah. indeed. Matt, you guessed fifty-five. Yes. Matt, you are closer. 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, shit. Okay, okay, first of all, this is not a th- that's not a 30% film, I don't think, really. That's fair. Um, I mean... But the way the Rotten Tomatoes works, I can understand how that would get 30%. Most people would have said, it's not that great, two out of five, that kind of thing. Shit. Although, interestingly, the audience score was 62%, so Jack, Ooh. you won off the audience. That's Ooh. what I would have figured the the That's, critics score yeah. to be more like, but interesting, okay. Maybe they're just angry because reasons. I don't like where this is going, Tim. Yeah. So, worrying, Smoking Tim. Aces, the first one, yeah. had 158 reviews. Uh-huh. Smoking Aces Assassin's Ball had nine reviews. Oh, <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> well done, Matt. Well and done. Oh, no. So oh, no. This is the gonna... score oh, on no. Rotten Tomatoes oh, no. is 44%. <laughs> it's a Shrek 2! Because like two or three of them liked it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh my God. So we are <sighs> technically telling the world that this Smoke, film... Smoking Aces 2 is 50% better than Smoking Aces, according to Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, fucking God. Hell. Okay, okay. What? We're still right, ladies and gentlemen. Fuck it all. Yeah. Although, again, wisdom of crowds here. Audience score twenty two percent. That's more like that it. feels more right. appropriate. Sixteen right. is yeah. twenty can, drop. Is, yes. Can we do that next time? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's much more logical. That's much more logical. Yes. Um, we've yeah. had we've had some weird disparity with audience scores and critic yeah. scores this season. It's just been absolute madness where it's like one is 90% and the critics mm. are like 15%. I yeah, think we can assume that if, if, you would, if you would say to somebody, would you review this New York Post or something, they'd say, fuck off, and it would get a 0% immediately or whatever it would be. And that would push the thing down to a more appropriate yeah. score. I, I don't think I recognised any of the names of the <clears> like, nah. websites that were reviewed. It was all stuff like... Cinema Express, where Express has no E at yeah. the front. <laughs> Bmoviefans.com. Yeah. 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 Straight to DVD fun. 
So, so yes. this is a first for us then, other than Shrek Two. So yeah, the film is fourteen percent higher, <laughs> and we're saying it's this bad. Is slightly less controversial than Shrek Two. Hey, However, we didn't think Shrek Two would be controversial. We thought Ghostbusters this, Two would. So we were this, wrong. This features actual neo-Nazis, so maybe I'll have to yeah. fight with neo-Nazis about we'll the positive reviews as well as I did about Shrek Two. So there you go. Spell DVD without you, SS. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. Right, so as as we mentioned earlier, it was my job to fix this. Oh, yeah, we're supposed to be fixing it. Yeah. Yeah. So I have... uh, I've changed a considerable amount. Okay. Thank God. But I decided when you look at the the reality of Smoking Aces and kind of how well it did, because it did all right at the box office, but it didn't, like, blow any doors off, I've decided to keep it as a direct-to-DVD sequel. Interesting. But also makes complete sense because you'd lose a lot of money. Hmm. Yeah, okay, okay. Because I, I basically, so I basically went in with that in mind. Mm. And as I mentioned earlier, I took weird inspiration from the kind of, yeah, like the, the Valentine's Day and New Year's Eve, those kind of films, the, sure. the, the, the proper ensemble films. Yeah. So I have essentially assembled a cast that is the director DVD version of one of those. Brilliant! I am I'm, like I'm, I'm the Expendables so mindset of director DVD. This is going to be brilliant. In the same <laughs> way that, uh, just to hijack this for a second, Tim, in series five when I did Crow City of Angels and my Pro sequel, I was like, "Who are you getting as a supporting cast, Matt?" All these grindhouse motherfuckers, I think, are appropriate yeah. for it because, of course, they would be. That makes sense. I'm really looking forward to this now because I can only assume when you say straight to DVD sort of style. I'm going to recognise every single one of them and go, yes! <laughs> yeah. So what I think, because also, because of the, the kind of fractured narrative mm. uh, of, of these films, what I will suggest we do is I, I'll go through director and returning cast and stuff like that with you. But I think for the new cast, um, if we kind of read them out as we get to their characters cool. okay. within uh, the plot of the film, I think that will be easier to help people get sure. because it's a it's a very sprawling cast. And yeah. Oh wow! Just, just seeing the them time. off at the start, uh, people will lose track. Very. I've just been scrolling for five minutes, and then, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I've only just seen this for the first time. That is, that is a, is that, a that is a third of your pitch. <laughs> <laughs> wow, man! I mean, I get it. That's good. So, okay, so we're going to start here, and also this uh, further preamble. I've done something a little interesting here. I had a little fun. Oh, okay. So there's a kind of an Easter egg within this pitch, which you may spot. I have a feeling Matt will spot it pretty quickly because he's, he's, he's wired into these kind of things. But I I will say if, if you spot it, if you realize what I am doing, hang on until the end when we're discussing it, because I'd like to give the listeners Uh, a chance. I'll just do this. (laughs) <laughs> that was a visual cue, ladies and gentlemen. That was, so you a, definitely that was a cryptic know. look. It of, was. It was like a amu- amusement. <laughs> so anyway, enough preamble. I have uh, renamed the film because Assassin's Ball Fucking stupid, doesn't right? mean anything. Nope. There's no there's no ball. There's no ball. Uh, so this film is called Smoking Aces Greatest Hits. <laughs> okay. It's just like a rockumentary thing where the band's second album <laughs> is called Greatest Hits, right? <laughs> <laughs> um. And it comes out in the year 2011, one year after it was originally released. I have pushed it back to get the directors that I was after. Okay. Who, to be honest, they are probably the biggest stretch in terms of getting people on board for this film. 
Oh, okay. Because I've gone for Neville Dean and Taylor. Tim, interesting. Because I've mentioned this on a previous episode. I think it was the Wolverine episode. I actually don't mind. I mean, like two out of five, three out of five don't mind. Mm. Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. Mm-hmm. I think Ghost Rider 1 was quite flat meh. Uh, the Daredevil director dude, I can't remember his name, mm-hmm. did is this like, eh, it's fine, I get it. But mm-hmm. the wacky, zany, over the top, I'm going to film this on rollerblades and hang on the back of a car shit is so interesting and so kinetic that it made the film quite interesting. And they did crank, obviously, in the same sort of way. Yeah. That's actually a good pick for this, I think, because they have that sort of madcap energy, yeah. So this mm. would this would be getting them uh, before Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance and yeah. after they had done Gamer, which yeah. was their follow-up, having done Crank and Crank oh, 2. Oh, yeah. So obviously having them on something that's directed DVD is a little bit... They are That is them on their kind of ascendancy. They've mm. kind of faded away a little bit now, but... Um, mm. You know, so it would be a little bit of a get, but... If anything, strange enough, their, their involvement might put it into the cinema accidentally, but at the same time, which might be a good thing, but at the same <laughs> yeah. time, as any actor who's up and coming or any director is, you'll notice if you follow their career, they will flip back and forth between doing really big budget, high budget presence, oh, you're a star now, and doing indie shit, not only because they want to, but because they feel they have to, because they're obliged contracts and things. So I think I think you're perfectly fine with that pick, Tim. I really mm. like it. And and if we have Joe Carnahan's kind of acting as, you know, his name was all over Smoking Aces 2, um, mm, even yeah. though he was only executive producer. They very much kind of tried to make it seem like he was the director. Give it a lot of so weight, yeah. Presented him, by and all that bullshit is yeah, all yeah. the way across the front mm. of the DVD, yeah. So if we lessen his perhaps hand, hands-on involvement with it, but have him acting as a kind of mentor to those two and that may be something that actually encourages them to do it if the idea of like, oh, okay, this guy who's been mm. around a bit more is going to kind of give us give us a lot of leeway, but also, you know, shepherd us through this thing. Yeah, that's a solid mindset. I like that. I like that a lot. So returning cast, we've got Kevin Durand as Jeeves Tremor and Maury, Maury Sterling as Lester Tremor. Mm-hmm. Bringing back two of the Tremor brothers. I'm not trying to get Chris Pine back. <laughs> That's um, he's in Star Trek. You can't get Star Trek territory. I think we can stretch to a Kevin Durand. Yeah, that's fine. You can get the blob. He'll be fine. You call me Trevor. As as with Assassin's Ball, we have Tommy Flanagan coming back as Laszlo Soot. Fine. Um, And I'm also bringing back Martin Henderson, who plays Hollis Elmore Mm. uh, in Smoking Aces. He is the surviving member of Ben Affleck's crew, um, who like loses a hand and has to deal with a child getting an erection <laughs> he does uh with nunchucks yes um so we're obviously this is a prequel he hasn't lost his fingers yet or whatever he's kind of a washed up cop in this sure that's good that's a good um, story point aren't they yeah. retained cast we have michael parks as fritz fritz tremor yes yes basically the best exactly thing about the same. yep cool. yeah yep we have also, Vinnie Jones as Finbar McTeague. Mm. But not, I am re- reimagining that character to better suit. Uh, he's, he's just, he's a more consistent character. Right. In that case, Tim, he's, yes. he's, he's more <laughs> Vinnie Jones. Yeah. He squeezes a man's yeah. bollocks. <laughs> he's, not, he's not playing like completely mindless thug, but um, uh, I'm kind of getting him to channel. I don't know if either of you guys have watched uh, Elementary, the. Yes. Um, the Johnny Lee yeah. Miller, 
uh, Sherlock Holmes TV mm. show. He shows up in the first season of that playing um, not Moriarty. <laughs> mild spoilers. Um, Thank but, fuck. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember the name of the character now, but he's basically uh, the the Moriarty equivalent of Watson in the uh, in the novel. Interesting. He's like a, another like retired soldier kind of figure in in the books. Mm, um, Sebastian. And he basically, is the Sebastian Moran. Yeah. There we go. Ah, um, okay. And so. Uh, and and in the in the TV show, he's kind of reimagined as this sadistic hitman, mm. and that's he's basically all, all levered up fucking assassin. Yeah, and that's basically who Finney Jones is playing here as well. That works for me. That's good. Ex, ex special forces kind of all business hitman. Sure. So yeah, we're going to skip over the new cast. We're going to come to them as they appear in the film. Afterwards, we can kind of go through what you yeah, guys think yeah. of them, or we, or you can react in time. With, sure. Um, and as I said, this is kind of a uh, an ensemble piece with a quite a f- fractured narrative that kind of crisscrosses. So rather than go through the film chronologically, we're going to follow storyline per by storyline um, and go through it that way. And then you'll see the points of intersection, um, mm. and it does kind of build towards the conclusion as we as we get towards sure. the end. But I'm sure our fine, attentive audience will be able to follow. <laughs> uh, so I will start. The story begins two weeks before the fourth of July and plays out across a number of days counting down towards it, followed by an epilogue that takes place a month later. The film begins with a voiceover from Special Agent David Burke, played by Judd Nelson, commenting that whenever he starts getting too optimistic about the state of the world, he encounters a new example of bloodshed or depravity. Under the surface of most lives, he claims, there is a hidden level of greed, violence and misfortune. Takuya and Toma. With the help of his longtime fixer Toma, played by Yuen Wa, washed up assassin Takuya, played by Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa, agrees to kill a wealthy CEO. Although his heart isn't in it, Takuya haphazardly prepares for the hit, all while drinking heavily and insulting Toma, who insists on some kind of professionalism. After the mission is a success, Takuya celebrates with a debauched party, featuring a cameo by. Jeremy Piven as Buddy Israel. Everybody's favourite character. Good old Ace. Better than just a name drop. (laughs) (laughs) Until he notices that Toma is depressed and he leaves to cheer his friend up with a karaoke session at a dive bar. So this this is gonna be a it's a very much a background plot that doesn't connect to anything else apart from showing up like there's gonna be news reports going in in the background of like this absolutely wild mission that they're going on that we just occasionally check back back in on. Cool. Um, as uh, and for people who don't know, I love uh, plot. When yeah, he is uh, the landlord from Kung Fu Hustle. Yeah, I was going to say he's amazing. That's my, that's my reference point yeah. for him. Yeah, you yeah. and Carrie Hiroki Takawa, who I used in um, we used in our um, Poltergeist two, and also yes. you did yes. But let's face it, that's not what people know him for. People know him because your soul is mine. That's why I know him. Is mine. <laughs> He is Shang Tsung, uh, <laughs> and uh, more recently in stuff like The Man uh, in the High Castle. The High Castle. Yeah. He's good yeah. in that, yeah. Julius, Victor, and Marco. Julius Stone, Scott Adkins, who we briefly uh, mentioned in our... AKA Walking Deadpool. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. And Victor Gates, Michael Jai White. I fucking love me some Michael Jai White. Yeah, he's, he's brilliant. He's, he's, he's fucking he's black spawn dynamite, he motherfucker. He's spawn, he's yeah. black yeah. dynamite. Uh, I didn't um, Alec and Stuart bring him in in their um, Spider-Man pitch as well, I think. 
Yes. He's a guy we'd always love to bring in. Was, he, was he Prowler in there? I want to say he was, yes, yeah. Because he's, he's, yeah. he's a fucking great actor. He's, people forget he's in the fucking Dark Knight as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, he's in a bunch of stuff. That's yeah. great. Anyway. These two individuals carry out a daring daytime hit, taking out a mob boss and his entourage at a restaurant. They escape using a getaway car drive by Marco, who's Kung Lee. Now, Kung Lee... Who is an MMA fighter. <laughs> Yeah, I know yes. him from the man with the iron fists, I want to say. Correct. Uh, yes. The Rizzo yes. film, which, again, yes. I have that on Blu ray. I like it, and I like it. I sequel, like that film. And they're not yeah. good. <laughs> but he's, he's, he's a good fighter. Anyway. I know Kung Lee from Strike Force, the short lived MMA promotion. That's <laughs> oh, where God. I was first introduced to him. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So and he's also in uh, Tekken. Oh, of course fuck he that is. Film. I love yes. Tekken the game so much. It's my favorite. There's franchise. a bunch of MMA fighters in no. Tekken for no reason. Yeah, <laughs> Tekken's a piece of shit. So it is. Not, not the game franchise, which is amazing. So yeah, Marco, who is good friends with Victor, but who seems to dislike Julius. After the job, Victor is keen to arrange another hit for the trio to work on, but Marco asks that they wait until the heat has died down. Afterwards, a suspicious Julius tracks Marco to his home and infiltrates it, finding surveillance footage of himself and Victor kissing and the like. Realising that Marco is, in fact, an undercover cop, Julius goes to warn Victor, but encounters Marco returning home. The pair briefly fight, and I can only assume it's fucking badass, yeah. (laughs) yeah. But Julius is able to escape. A few days later, on the 4th of July... Oh, not the 19th of April. Okay. Um, <laughs> a few days later on the 4th of July Julius and Victor have relocated to a new safe house and are preparing for another job when Marco appears holding the pair at gunpoint he explains that he is an FBI agent and Julius is responsible for the death of his old partner he prepares to kill both of them when fireworks go off outside distracting him long enough for Julius to kill him love it so the daytime hit that they do at the beginning um, is kind of the first big action scene uh, of the film and uh it's i i'm basically i'm taking my hints from pokemon here in a <laughs> uh hitmon lee hitmon chan oh, division okay. of labor so you're gonna have scott adkins doing lots of kicks and michael joy white doing lots of punches that's a good mix i like that uh and yeah that and that 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 big action scene as we'll see as we go through kind of ties together a few of the other characters as well and it is, uh, so that's, it's that's our kind of big set piece to start with it's Kung Lee hit him on top where he's just doing capoeira and spinning around <laughs> if, he, if he's capable of it yeah I assume okay. so why not yeah, MMA does all stuff doesn't he yeah uh, right Hudson and Magdalena expert marksman Hudson Trask played by Sterling K. Brown yeah love me some Sterling K. Brown is at the same restaurant hit as Julius and Victor and was also attempting to kill the mob boss but was beaten to the kill by the pair of close quarters assassins Frustrated, he takes a job in El Salvador, where he's supposed to eliminate a witness for a cartel. However, an Argentinian sniper called Magdalena Viago, uh, played by Mia Maestro, has also been hired to do the same job, and the pair continually spoil each other's shots, alert the guards to the other's location, and even sabotage each other's vantage points, at one point dropping them both into a lake just before they can take a kill shot. Despite their contentious relationship, a friendly rivalry develops between the two, until Hudson is called back to America. There, his fixer informs him that another rival cartel has placed a bounty on both his and Magdalena's heads, as they are not sure who actually took out the witness in the end. Realising that Magdalena could be killed, he races back to El Salvador and locates her in time for the pair to fight off a wave of cartel enforcers sent to eliminate her. 
The Tremors. Yeehaw. <laughs> Fritz Tremor, as we know, played by Michael Parks, yes! is the patriarch of the Tremor family and nominally in charge of a sizable meth operation. He's married to Irene, played by Anne Dowd, who in fact does most of the work of running their drug empire and loaning out to their sons Jeeves and Lester as muscle when needed. Kim, played by Gina Gershon, mm. a new member of the Tremors gang, flirts with Fritz, who does little to discourage her. A drug deal attended by Marco, ah, they're starting to tie together, here we go, who Kim apparently knows from previous jobs together, Fritz embarrasses Jeeves when he attempts to make a move on Kim and promotes her within the gang, letting her run an upcoming hijacking. Whilst at an underground arms deal, Fritz calls Kim to find out her favourite gun and Irene almost catches him purchasing a modified AR-15 from an extremely talkative salesman called Raphael, played by <laughs> Christopher motherfucking Lambert. You want an AR-15, my friend? I can do that for you. I cannot see, but I can do it. This is highly modified, my friend. And you can, you can enjoy this uh, assault rifle 15. And, oh, of God. course... It's the, a Mortal Kombat crossover. Yeah, you're casting all the, the fucking Mortal. Neville Dean it's, and Taylor. Video, it's video game. The, the the theme is video game movie <laughs> people because you've got the guy, one of the guys from Tekken. You got a few of the guys from Mortal Kombat. Yeah, I've sussed you, Tim. I've sussed you. I was like, Neville Dean and Taylor work with um, Christopher Lambert in um, Ghost Rider, and uh, after this as well. So it's like, yeah, that makes sense. That's, oh, that's, that, that, that actually fit rather than just us pissing about. Going, That'd be funny. <laughs> That fits. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. There can be only AR-15s. I bet he has to make a Highlander reference at the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Handing over, there can be only one gun for you or something. <laughs> anyway, later on, Irene discovers the assault rifle painted with a heart among Fritz's belongings. As the family is preparing for their 4th of July cookout, of course... Fritz presents Irene with a large box, which she initially thinks is the AR-15, but turns out to be a new vacuum cleaner. Realising that the rifle was meant for someone else, she confronts Fritz and chases him out of the house with a shotgun, pursuing him until she is eventually arrested by local police. Okay, <laughs> I think I've clocked on something. We'll get that. We'll get to that at the end. Mm, okay. it's, the, it's the face moment. Mm -hmm. Burke and Natalia. Special Agent David Burke, Judd Nelson is the new deputy head of an ATF, or, uh, alcohol, tobacco and firearms, I believe, uh, task force aiming to take down an online marketplace for assassins. He has recently apprehended for infamous poisoner Natalia Tarasova, which is Natasha Henstridge. Nice. And is holding her for interrogation. Burke seems to be making progress and in getting information from Tarasova, but he's interrupted by DEA agent Carlton Husk, Eric fucking Roberts. Brilliant. <laughs> Eric Roberts, who must have the longest fucking IMDb page I've ever seen because yeah. he'll star in any <laughs> fucking shit. Yeah. Fucking job. Him and Silvino, Jesus. Um, Eric Roberts, I remember... What, what was the, the sequelizers episode where Tim, Tim brought up Eric Roberts? It's like, oh, it's, oh it's, it's, it was Battle Royale 2. Where Tim was like, it's like if Eric Roberts turns <laughs> up and he's playing a criminal, but it's just Eric Roberts playing Eric Roberts. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Carlton Husk, Eric Roberts, who attempts to claim jurisdiction over Natalia. Husk attempts to take over Tarasova's um, interrogation, claiming to Burke that she has changed her mind and will only speak with the DEA. Burke discovers this isn't true and confronts Husk. He manages to keep Tarasova under ATF jurisdiction, but Husk gets revenge by having Burke transferred to a different case. Ah, oh, Judd Nelson. 2011 Judd Nelson as well. He's, he's like... Um, 
Like he he, he just, just did a couple of years before he did uh, the um, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back sort of thing. Oh, of so course, goes, yeah. Oh yes. fuck! It's actually Judd Nelson. You have to remind us like who he is. Like that's what's his face from fucking Breakfast Club. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, cool. That- he's starring. He's starring in stuff like Bigfoot Wars. Around this <laughs> <period>. <laughs> what? I need that. Whatever that is in my life. I don't know if we do, but okay. <clears throat> no. On July 4th. And, and also doing uh, uh, trans, uh, Transformers cartoons because he was hot rod in the, uh, yeah, the movie. Um, he was good. Okay. On July 4th, as the ATF is preparing for a transfer of prisoners, including Natalia, Burke discovers a note from her left in his files, claiming that she is going to escape. He races to the jail where she is being held, encountering Kim Little, ah, who is revealed to be an undercover FBI agent. Shit. Kim informs him that Natalia's already on her way to the airport, and unable to raise the transport on the radio, Burke follows her there. Reaching the airport, he encounters the recently arrested Irene Tremor, his sister, who assumes he is there to gloat over her capture. He finally tracks down the seemingly secure Natalia, who beckons him close to reveal how she plans to escape. You fool. When he is close enough, she bites his neck, injecting a toxin that she has secreted into her mouth, and Burke collapses to the ground, dying. That is more interesting than her ampoule on her lip fucking <laughs> fucking Batman Robin rubber lips I'm so, bullshit. I'm so cold. Is it normal to feel cold? <laughs> it's not a good thing, right? Fuck that. Uh, Finbar and Sam. Finbar McTeague, Vinnie Jones, mm. is an ex-SAS operative occasionally hired by Irene Tremor. Now we're talking. After the death of his partner, he is attempting to train a new one a former British soldier named Sam Buckingham, played by Michelle Ryan. Oh, Michelle Ryan. Brits will know from EastEnders, and yeah. Americans may know from the short-lived Bionic Woman t- uh, uh, reboot. Yep. Uh, while Sam shows promise, she is focused on freeing her boyfriend, Joe Malachowski, played by Jason London, mm. uh, from prison. McTeague eventually relents, and he and Sam begin preparations to spring Joe from prison when he is being transferred the same transport that Natalia and Irene are on. Mm. When Burke is attacked by Natalia, Finbar calls off the operation, despite Sam's protests. Sam reminds him of the bond and sense of loyalty that he shared with his former partner, and persuaded by her words, Finbar and Sam race to the plane's destination, arriving just as it lands, and staging a massive assault on the guards, freeing the assembled prisoners. Janice, Rod, and of course, Special Ken. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking love these titles, Tim. Just it's just character names, but if, it's great. If if special Ken Tim turns out to be someone with like a, a mental disability, we're gonna have problems. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the, the, his his only disability is massive stupidity. Excellent. That's fine. That's fine. I wonder if we're gonna do the what you know the smoking aces two thing. <laughs> yeah, the big fat guys go learning difficulties. Way. No. Janice Kamensky, played by Alex Borstein, mm. is a mob lawyer who first appears at Julius and Victor's daytime hit, where she attempts to signal Hudson to take his shot before the scene descends into chaos. She has ties to the Tremor family's business, and next shows up at the drug deal with Marcus, accompanied by her boorish senior partner, Rod Chuglitz, played by Ken Marino. That, that's not special Ken, that's Ken the actor. That's Ken the actor. Yeah. Who she who is a special Ken. Oh, he is a special Ken. <laughs> to his mum who she fantasises about killing. When Chuglitz overindulges on cocaine during the deal, she believes her chance has finally come, but she's called away by another client, a 
particularly stupid low-level gangster called Special Ken, <laughs> played by Eddie K. Thomas. <laughs> best, best known for the American Pie films. Yes. Yes, definitely. Later, on July the 4th, Special Ken calls Janice while she and Rod are at a business lunch and tells her he has arranged a special surprise for her. Makes sense, he's Special Ken. <laughs> Janice is briefly excited, but her hopes are soon dashed when the valet goes to collect a car and it explodes. Special Ken having placed the bomb in the wrong vehicle. <laughs> oh, Special Ken. Oh, Special Ken. <laughs> Hollis, Ramos and the hunting party. In the aftermath of the Julius and Victor hit, former detective Hollis Elmore from, you know, more, attempts to convince the cops present that multiple assassins were at the scene and they need to take the situation more seriously. Detective Ramos, Hector Elizondo, really good move there. Yeah. Um, pretty woman, I think everyone's going for. Here's my little nod to the Gary Marshall films because he's in every one of those fuckers because uh, Gary Marshall loves him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He Isn't he also in uh, Jedi Fallen Order recently? Yes, That's he the, is. Yeah, yeah. Just a little thing. Anyway. Detective Ramos dismisses Elmore's concerns and Hollis announces his intention to find evidence of a network of assassins and restore his place on the police force. Spoilers, he loses Zand. Um, <laughs> following a tip from an old contact, Hollis travels to Mexico where he encounters a trio of female assassins played by Amber Stevens-West, Summer Basile, and Daniela Pineda. Now, yeah. I know those names. I don't know why I know those names. Okay, so... Um... And this was one of these. This was one of these levels of roles where I was like, realistically, in a director DVD film, these can be played by no name actors. Sure, but I might as well chuck some names in there. Um, so these are all actresses who have started around this time mm. and would go on to do bigger and better things. That makes sense. Uh, so Amber Stevens West is probably best known for uh, she plays uh, the captain's daughter in Twenty Two Jump Street. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Summer Bashil is in uh, The Magicians, the sci-fi series based okay. on the, the book. She's very good in that. And Daniela Pineda is uh, she's in... in... I know that one. She's in Jurassic World, isn't she? Oh, no, Fallen Kingdom, isn't she? She's in Fallen Kingdom, in Fallen Kingdom and yes. she's going to be yes. Faye Valentine in the new uh, Cowboy Bebop. Cowboy Bebop. Yeah, yeah, that's why I know her. Yeah. She was actually all right in, uh, in, in, in Fallen Kingdom. She's, she's quite sassy. She's one of, the, one of the best things in Fallen Kingdom. Yeah. yeah I agree. Yeah. So, yes. They are the trio of female assassins. Who then drug him, dress him as a pig, and chase him through the countryside, eventually driving him towards their home, uh, where he briefly encounters their leader, Elena Satine. Uh, yeah, and again, Who again? Uh, another, uh, she is in The Gifted, um, the kind of uh, X-Men tangentially related uh, oh, TV series. series. yeah. She was briefly in Smallville. Uh, she oh, played uh, Mira. Uh, she's in... Uh, revenge. She's cropped up in quite a lot of things. I don't think I, I again. I know the name, but I don't think I know her. I, I think I know about revenge. Is it's the Count of Monte Cristo? I think. Mm. Um, but uh, no. I, again, I assume that's all cool and would work perfectly. I have no comment. And it's the same thing mm -hmm. as you already said. You're getting people in who would be either no names or, to be fair, nobody really watched Smoke and Aces and went. <gasps> Chris Pine? Oh my god! It yeah. was like, who's this fucking dirty dickhead? Um, yeah, that's Captain Kirk, motherfucker. <laughs> You'll see him again. Kirk. Chris Pine, star of Just My Luck, starring Lindsay Lohan. Yeah. Oh dear. Okay, and the last of our threads. Uh, Laszlo and Arcady. Laszlo from What We Do in the Shadows. 
<laughs> Unfortunately not. Oh. <laughs> Detective Ramos takes a bribe from bomb maker Arcady, played by Andrew Divoff. Hey. Who uh, is, <laughs> has been in loads of shit, <laughs> uh, probably best known as the Wishmaster. The Wishmaster uh, type, I think, yeah. Both of those films. Um, he also shows up uh, in Lost as the uh, Russian Dharma guy with an eye patch. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I know, I know he, what you mean. He's like three different demons in Buffy, uh, an angel. <laughs> he's one of those guys who you'll see his face and you'll go, oh, that you guy. look weirdly familiar. And then yeah. you put like a layer of makeup on him and you go, I know who you are. <laughs> he He's also with Tim Curry in Command and Conquer Red Alert 3. <laughs> he is, yes. He's one of the Russian generals. Spies! Spies. <laughs> um, Commander, I don't trust you, but I will work with you. It's, yeah, it's fucking brilliant. Good choice. Uh, also a, a Russian in Air Force One, I believe, under ah. Gary Oldman. So yes, Arcady uh, f- uh, allows him into the city morgue, where Arcady begins to assemble a bomb inside the corpse of one of the gangsters killed at the massacre from <laughs> earlier in the film. Leaving briefly to get a soda, he returns to find Laszlo Soot, <laughs> making a mask of one of the other victims. After a brief standoff, the two return to their work and begin making small talk, <laughs> apparently nonchalant about their grisly work. After the pair are done, they awkwardly exchange details, and throughout the film we see them chatting on the phone while carrying out similar gory tasks, each clearly happy to have made a new friend. I think I'm on to you, Tim. I think, I think I'm on to you. We'll find out. After this epilogue. One month later, we catch up with all the characters. Toma tells Takuya that his successful assassination has led to many more offers of work. Julius and Victor spar with each other in preparation for their next hit. Janice calls up Hudson and Magdalena, confirming her target and smiling as they simultaneously take out Rod. Fritz and the Tremor brothers are engaged in a barroom brawl when Irene returns, wielding a spiked baseball bat. Sam and Joe holiday on a beach while at a nearby bar. Finbar plans a heist. Belladonna, leader of the female assassins, drops off a heavily drugged Hollis outside Detective Ramos's apartment. Natalia dons a disguise and heads towards a restaurant where Agent Husk is eating. And Laszlo and Arcady meet up to play some mini-golf. And that is the end of our epilogue. Nice. <laughs> so Matt, do you have a theory about Tim's theme? <sighs> so this is, this is the problem. I have too many theories. Do you want me to go first? Because I only have one. Okay, I yeah. think Jack's got it. Have, have you remade Love Actually with a bunch of assassins? I have remade Love Actually yes. with a bunch of assassins. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah, I knew it. I knew it. I was. It was. It was. It was the present for, for Irene, and I was like, "That sounds like Alan Rickman." Yeah. Oh my god! And then the they casually discuss while going through the grisly work is obviously the, the porn actors, and I was like, "You motherfucker, Tim, well yeah. done." <laughs> The the thing that threw me because again it's the, it's the when someone says oh it's it's going to be a thing I'm like right okay I'm now looking for the twist I'm looking for what it might be and the problem is I'm going through a catalogue of films in my head and I'm like I don't know if Tim knows about these films but I'm going to be fucking mine now um, and then I go too deep and I go well obviously it might be fucking sense and sensibility so the thing that threw me was the pig um, and I thought to myself pigs pigs is that a nod to something or is that just you're having fun. Uh, that's that's. I mean, obviously, all the all the storylines are sort of adaptations of the storylines yeah. in Love Actually. Yes. Uh, him be the um, uh, Hollis Hollis being dressed up as a pig uh, is not from Love Actually. No, that's what threw me because I started thinking about all the things like when people are dressed up as donkeys and horses and pigs. And I was like, there's something here. Oh, 
Pig police, obviously, yeah. So I went off the deep end, but yes, I, I that that's and the thing is, I think it's buried really well. You'd end up having like the actors going, "Wait, what?" and no one would ever know. I don't. I think you'd be hard pressed to to get that. But yeah, well done because that was a very enjoyable film. Because as well as stupid as this sounds, maybe reading the pitch as is and going through and such, you're like, "This is there's a lot going on." Obviously, the Christmas sort of setting and show of love actually being transported to the 4th of July kind of sort of mm-hmm. bit but it's it's very hard as a as as a pitch to get your head around where all the bits are going and pieces and happening and things because of course it's an ensemble casting but mm-hmm. when you know the format is already something you're already familiar with you go got it it's great it's there so yeah and because there are so many interconnected elements as well I really like them and I know it would probably work really well and because it's straight DVD you wouldn't get as nearly as many people being hang the fuck on. You can't do that. It's like, yeah, we can. Nobody's looking. Yeah. <laughs> and the cast is great. It's a really solid bunch of people. And they're, they're the kind of people that it wouldn't cost you a fortune to hire them. You can get most of them for fucking Ben Affleck's fucking price. Yeah, almost everyone in uh, that I cast has done a TV movie or a straight-to-DVD movie nice. within a couple of years of... 2011 when i'm having this done mm-hmm. um i think one uh, of the few stand-ups clever. is sterling k brown hasn't done one but he's also around this period like he's just been an occasionally recurring character on supernatural so yeah, like he has yeah. not broken through to the level that he's now at he was like just a jobbing actor for a very long while and then suddenly like was he launched very Black quickly Panther and yeah. you know yeah stuff like that we so. have the advantage that we cast from the future Yes. Like retroactively casting good actors who yeah. aren't famous yet and all that kind of stuff as well. Exactly. Yeah. yeah this yeah. this this cast is mainly made up of people who haven't quite made it big yet, and people who made it big about twenty years ago and are now cheap to get. <laughs> but the thing is, I think all of them are very capable. I think they would do something very interesting. And again, with the cast you have here, much like I said with the original Smoke and Aces in my original review. The caliber. I'm not saying they're like, oh, such award-winning, beautiful cast. But mm. no, but they're quality and they're very functional and capable individuals like Gina Gershon and 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 um Skykins and things like that and Kung Lee and things and obviously Kerry Hiroki, Tokawa. Um they're people who are good actors. They can turn up, do the mm. job, take the pay, get out of there, and come out relatively clean. That's nice. Um and all the manic, madcap shit that could go on and have the, these things would be so heightened and so intense because of the nature of Taylor and, and, and Neveldine, because I think their style is so frenetic and so over the top. Um, I'm glad there's no Jason Statham. I would have gone, uh. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's too big at this point, thankfully, but um, as a favor to friends kind of thing, you do get some people like, you know, yeah, oh, we, yeah, we kind yeah. of owe him. But yeah, I, I, I rather enjoyed that. Trying to think of questions or things I'd fix. But the thing is, it's quite... And this has nothing to do with the actual pitch. It's to do with the format of what we do on sequelizers. It's such an assault of names, faces, and and and, and, and almost anthology-like <laughs> stories. Yeah. It takes you a minute to break it down before... I, like, at a week's I mean, time, I'll go, it, hang it, on. It's the nature of the film. Yeah, yeah, of, entirely. Of this type as well. Like, it's quite hard to... Like, if you read the Wikipedia entry for Love Actually... Like it's quite hard to then conceive of what the film right, looks like, yeah. which obviously this struggles from the same point. You know, I think this breaking it down into storylines, I think, works better than trying to. 
Oh, to interweave would be too much to keep up with. Chronologically, but, you know, hopefully, you know, you can get get the sense of the moments of intersection. And, yeah, there's there's kind of the big action set piece at the start, as I mentioned, with uh, Scott Adkins and and Michael Jai White. Uh, And then you have the kind of uh, prison break element at the end uh, where it's Vinnie Jones kind of doing his sort of XSAS type stuff. Sure, sure. And yeah. taking out a bunch of prison guards and things and, and freeing prisoners. I'm frustratingly drawing a blank because I've got nothing to say that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I'm I'm so impressed that you managed to get something good out of these oh, just this 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 weird world of just well, mediocrity that I think... I think has a lot of potential, but neither of the original films actually capitalizes on. And I think having it as even like a, a meta level of commentary and going like it's a love actually that adaptation <laughs> but with assassins mm. like that that's another way of injecting some fun into it and you you haven't gone for the the tonal bullshit you haven't got some deadly serious straight character no. that's like no oh no. yeah taking himself really seriously and blah 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 and then all this crazy martial arts bullshit is happening on in the background like yeah it's you've, more appropriate you've, you've done what assassin's ball thinks it did <laughs> and then it goes balls to the wall and goes mad but it doesn't because it's got budget ashens just hanging out doing <laughs> shit. whereas you haven't got any of the boring fbi stuff there's a couple of twists of undercover agents and stuff but that's the whole point of the, the fucking series mm. is everyone's mm. undercover mm. all the time. Mm. But you don't have everybody like, oh, I'm going to be on the phone to an FBI guy just just for no reason. And just, uh, yep, we're going to be in an office for the next 40 minutes of this film. And this is film is 95 minutes long. So enjoy that. <laughs> and equally, like, I haven't got any, like, clowns being shot at things. No suicide bombing clowns or no, references yeah, yeah. to real life tragedies. Unless yes, you count love, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which itself references a real life tragedy. Uh, it does talks about nine eleven in the it first does. moments. Very and tacked I fucking on. Hate it for yeah. it. Love actually would be. Uh, I don't mind love. I think it's all right for much. It's very stupid, but it's very fun, and I think it's a very good Christmas movie for that regards. But at the same time, if it if it didn't have that nine eleven thing at the start, it would be significantly better. But yeah, I've, I've tried to kind of tonally bring bring the the wild swings of of smoking aces a little bit together and have it little bit more tonally consistent obviously some of the storylines are, are more light-hearted than others but i think by also by having them separated out that way it allows you to play with different tones without making it feel like like part of the problem of smoking aces is that you have jeremy piven talking about cinnamon roll jizz on his <laughs> fancy jacket it's and then like jacket. For, 45 minutes later we're supposed to be like oh man he's having this long dark dark night of the soul as he you know tries to recover from his drug high and and he's facing his own mortality and it's like you can't have the same character occupying both those spaces Mm. without really putting in a lot of work which that film doesn't so Mm. it's easier to kind of separate it out a little bit i'm just scrolling back through trying to find the andrew lincoln holding up the signs moment like where that Uh, that is that is uh marco uh holding um victor and julius at gut point okay nice Uh, (laughs) and and in my version andrew lincoln then gets killed As well, he should. Which is probably what should have happened. Fucking creep. (laughs) Yes. So, yeah, we have Kira Knightley played by Scott Adkins in this film. Brilliant. Sign me up. (laughs) Um, It is is an interesting one because, I mean, I I still maintain of this entire series, no spoilers for what's to come, that the hardest job of a prequel 
was Jack with the thing. That was genuinely the one, the the the, hmm. the most unenviable. It was the hardest task. thing to write that I've ever written for this show. So exactly, <laughs> yeah. This one yeah. is it's torturous. Not necessarily a close second, but it's a difficult one to come back to because you like to say like, "What is Smoking Aces?" But thing the thing is, Smoking Aces gives you so much to work back with because the characters are so wacky and it sets the universe right, and you can make the tone work as Tim has here, and you can take the bits that are so heightened and memorable. And to be fair. Assass- uh, uh, Assassin's Ball, Smoking Aces 2, does try to do that. It's like, well, the tremors are really crazy. People remember the tremors. Put them in. But you've also got, you know, uh, Elmore, the Elmore character in there as well. Mm. I think that makes sense. That is your that is basically, I guess, your bit of grounding um, in a weird way. Well, part of the bit of the grounding, I should say. And, it, and even then, he's not grounding, he's just the pig. Um, but I think... <laughs> I think that's that, that 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 opportunity to do something that's that's so madcap. Because the thing is, again, with, as we've mentioned about all these episodes, the prequels have to feed into it somehow. This doesn't feel like just a name drop in the first one of, of Smoke and Aces 2, where it says, oh, this guy, buddy, he is real. Like, oh, well done. It feels like it's actually connected in a way and feeds sort of into that film because you know a bit more about certain characters, but not enough that it's actually feeling like, a direct consequence of it because unless you mm. do a buddy israel story that's boring and goes nowhere it doesn't reveal anything because it's not happening well, until the that next is film. the little montage at the beginning of the first film basically e- exactly yeah. unless you do that then you don't make what would be considered a narrative direct prequel but because you have the world building prequel which is what this is at the end of the day mm. i think it's a good job i think it, 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 it does it rather well again really hard to wrap your head around visually but then if you think about it, because again, because we know love actually and these things like, you know, Valentine's Day, all that stuff exists. Mm. And we know we can see the sort of directorial style, the really crazy energy and probably, frankly, a fucking eyesore like like Crank, for example. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I, I can't watch this shit. I, it's, I'm trying so hard to keep up with this. It's so many people. It could almost. Yeah, fuck it. I will say this. I think releasing it as a director DVD thing is another part of the genius of it. Because if you did this in the cinema, I think you'd be lost. Whereas if you're in the <laughs> DVD, you go, fuck, stop, stop, pause. Who the fuck is this now? <laughs> and you rewind back in like two scenes. I thought so. Right, go back again. It's fine, it's fine. In the same way that like Alan Moore was talking about comics and say, oh, you can go back a couple of pages on a comic. It's like, yeah, you can do the same thing on a video or DVD. Um, but um, yeah, that makes sense that you would be able to, you know, keep up with it in that regards. And yeah, I think it works. I think I think that's probably the only, because I think... I, I, it took me ages to think of a, a director because, especially when you're trying to think about uh, a directed, like director DVD actors, there's kind of things that you can go to and think of, like, okay, who's kind of working at that level? Yeah, or, yeah. You know, people who who were big before and and who haven't made anything good in a while and and stuff like that. But it's so hard to think of distinctive directors who are working at that level because they're yeah. largely paid to be pretty generic. And so, and I didn't want Very to just true. pick. A generic person but Neville Dean and Taylor to me work so well as people who could carry the torch for that kind of world mm. but I do think that there there would be a slight worry that their style would make it so difficult to follow even a conventional narrative that having them do something this fractured I might be shooting myself in the foot but yeah you know no, who, I who think, cares yeah I, yeah. <laughs> I think I, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of an alternative suggestion because I think you're right to make it work as a, a straight DVD to release, you have to get a certain individual. And they have to be one who has enough of a personality and a visual style that makes them work 
but not so much so that they actually would progress into the cinematic territory around this time anyway. And that is very tricky. Um, I think there are individuals you could probably think of if I had, if I had a little bit longer to, to ponder on it and it wasn't so goddamn late at night and I wasn't so tired. <laughs> but because, um, yeah, you have you can't just do Carnahan light. You have mm. to do That's that. the problem with the second one, isn't it? Yeah, Precisely, exactly. yeah. You have the, to do that times 10. The thing that's 10. worse than the original is the, is the mm. imitation. Yeah. More imitation. And they wouldn't be doing an imitation of Carnahan. They'd be doing their own thing with a sort of, with that uh, blueprint, as it were. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I get it. I think it's a good fix for me. I, I think it'd be, I, I think this would be very fun. It may not be brilliantly good in the sense of like an actual film. I might go, <laughs> this, is, this deserved to be on fucking DVD. But it'd be a very fun film. And that is one thing that I thought Smoke and Aces was quite fun, actually. Smoke and Aces 2 was fucking dull. Halfway mm. through, about 45 minutes into it, I thought, Jesus Christ, what has happened so far? And then as it was all winding up, I thought it was already over. I was like, how is there 20 more minutes of this shit left to go? <laughs> and it just sort of crawled to a, 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 its, you know, ending. But um, yeah, decent. I, uh, I hope that listeners who uh, didn't manage to spot what I was doing uh, on, the, on the first listen through have fun. Going, going back, back through because yeah. obviously we you guys have the script or the, or the pitch that you can look at and, and work out yeah exactly you know, what corresponds to what uh i hope listeners have fun going back and re-listening and going like oh so carrie hiriyuka tagawa is uh is bill nye and stuff like that <laughs> that's a sentence <laughs> i never thought i'd hear but sure yeah um but yes, like I say, when I was writing this, I was like, I'm not sure I've written a good film here, but I've had fun writing it. <laughs> and that's the important thing on sequelizers exactly. slash prequelizers. Yeah, but you, you've made a better film than Smoke and Aces 2. That is part of which the remit not, of the show, but not hard. Yes, which is not particularly hard. <laughs> yeah. um, but to make this know, good, I, you'd have to defy the nature of what Smoke and Aces was in the first place, which we always find is a difficult... To say that. Yeah. <laughs> What have you made? I've made heat. Like, right. That's yes. <laughs> that's not what we needed right now. <laughs> I've made Day of the Jackal. Yeah, Day of the Jackal, but bear with me. The assassination is done by a giant cannon flying a clown. It's like that, that's a monstrous idea. But wait, there's more. I've cast Richard Gere and Bruce Willis. Oh, the remake. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Jack Black gets his arm shot off. It's great. He does. <laughs> Anyway, before we go through every film featuring an assassin that is better than Smoking Aces. <laughs> Most of them. <laughs> uh, we should thank everyone for listening. Thanks. And say that if you want to get in contact with us and let us know what you thought. Let us know if when you realised uh, that you were listening to an adaptation of Love Actually, <laughs> but with assassins. <laughs> like I said, my moment was with the AR-15. That was definitely yes. a moment for me. I was like, oh! <gasps> Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, you can uh, follow us on Twitter. We are at Sequelizers. Uh, we're also on Instagram. Uh, you can email us if you have uh, something, a uh, question you want to ask us or comments you want to make. We are Sequelizers at gmail.com. Uh, and you can also, also join our lovely community on our Discord, uh, where we have a bunch of really friendly folks uh, chatting about uh, the show, movies, TV, pretty much we've kind of got topics as as diverse as pets and science and stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> it's just a, a fun place to hang out if you're if you're online and, and fancy chatting with some like-minded folks. I shared something in the science chat today. It was uh, 
the sound a Neanderthal would make according to their vocal cords. And I'll give you a spoiler. Oh, yeah. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I've seen so many recuts of that Fucking already, awful. of just replacing the noise with different things. It's it's pretty great. Yeah. Uh, but yes, you can find the link to our Discord. Uh, it's on our Facebook page, which we also have, facebook.com slash sequelizers. Uh, it's pinned at the top of our Twitter account um, and uh, basically everywhere on our social media. It's also linked on our website, which is sequelizers.com. There's a little Discord link at the top there, right next to the link to our shop, our online store, where you can buy T-shirts and the posters from Season 5. So you can go and enjoy some, some Nightfall, some Escape from Liberty, some Star Trek V, The Stars Above. Mm. All three posters now available as a triple pack or individually to you lovely little listeners, all Beautifully handcrafted by Mr. John Scarrett yep. and uh, printed very nicely by our friends at Ripe Digital as well. They're really cool. They're, they're A3 sized, really nice card, beautifully printed, really well designed. And uh, yeah, we're really, really proud of them. So yeah. if you do want to go and check those out, you can go to the shop on our website, which is sequelizers.com slash shop. If you want to go straight there and get yourself some sweet merch. Mm-hmm. If you'd like to support us, in another financial kind of way, you can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers where we have tiers all the way from $1 up to $50 where you can support us for a variety of different rewards, including the outtakes and bonus content that we like to make around these episodes, early access, ad-free episodes, voting on upcoming episodes, picking your own film for us to sequelize slash prequelize in the future. Mm-hmm. You can do that on the highest tier as well. And of course... You can also get a shout-out, like our executive producers can, such as we, we mentioned Shang Tsung himself earlier on, so it feels appropriate <laughs> that I'll start off with Mr. Mike Salvia. Jonathan Firth-Clark. And, of course, Stuart Main. The man with notoriously terrible taste in films. <laughs> Fucking hell, yeah. <laughs> and we let That's not even touching that one. But, but, but we love him anyway. <laughs> we oh, love yeah, him yeah, anyway. obviously. obviously. It takes man, all comms to make a world. The man who prefers Tron Legacy to Blade Runner 2049 and Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> yeah. The less said about that, the better. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> if you want to discuss controversial film opinions, of course, you can do it in our Discord or you can hit us up directly. I am JLW Chambers on pretty much everything matt if they want to discuss controversial film opinions with you on the internet how can they do it stogs s-t-o-g-h-z uh, uh the various social medias you can go to the red right hand.co.uk to read the reviews i write again there's not very many Including now smoking aces huh? that's a very old one but mm. you can yeah mm. that was the 85th review i wrote wow. i've now done like six seven hundred or something like that. fucking hell anyway <laughs> Uh, you can also go to cheeseman.com and see the various things we make, including very dour, serious, uh, dark dramas and fun, silly stuff. They don't cross over randomly and don't work, thankfully. That's, That's true. Like a normal person. But yeah, Super Happy Kill Time. If you want to see a, a thing about a group of assassins, wacky assassins doing crazy shit and having fun. Again, it's massively award winning. It does very well internationally. So people like it. Koreans fucking love it. Koreans especially fucking love it. South Koreans love it. I don't know North Koreans. So I don't think they like it. Um, Tim, if uh, you want to spread North Korean propaganda, where do you do that? Uh, I do that mostly uh, on the dark web. 
But if people are looking for my more accessible <laughs> internet presence, then uh, Trivia Lad, Trivia underscore Lad on Twitter uh, is uh, where I can be found. That's the best place to find me. Um, let me know uh, your thoughts on Love Actually, a film that I do not enjoy, but I thought it would be better <laughs> if it had murder in it. <laughs> You're not wrong, Tim. You're not wrong. It would definitely be improved if Chris Marshall got dressed up like a pig and hunted through the countryside. That would be good, considering his storyline is, I'll go to America and chum my fucking stupid voice. Yeah. Uh, Pretty much. Well, on that note, thank you much for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next week as we close ever closer to the end of this season. We'll see you all in heaven. Don't worry, you'll all be there. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.